Hey everyone, welcome to the Jesus Way podcast. Um, today we have Dylan Morgan with us to talk about all things recovery and addiction. Um, really excited to have you, man. Good to be with you, buddy. Yeah, I'm we got Brandon to here too. He's low key hidden. The invisible man. Yeah, uh, Dylan, um, just can you share your story really quick? You know, as we talk about addiction, recovery, um, everything. You know, whether it's AA or celebrate recovery, all those kind of topics. Like, can you explain who you are, your story, and how God uses things? Ah, uh, absolutely. Um... So I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to keep it short and sweet. Um, but it doesn't, it's not like this profound moment started in my life. Boom. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm an alcoholic. I'm a drug, drug addict. Um, I really believe that. So to even back it up further. So my, my grandfather Mm -hmm. was a recovering alcoholic, got sober at 40 years old in 1970. My dad is a recovering alcoholic, got sober in 1995 when he was 33. My brother is an alcoholic who got sober in 2011, he was age 24, and I'm an alcoholic. I got, wow. Yeah. Can I actually ask you, when your dad was 33 in 1995, he got sober, mm-hmm. you were how old? I was, in 1995, I was eight years old. Eight. Do you, do you actually remember him coming home in that kind of state? Do you, do you have um, memories of that? So, my dad hid it from my brother and I pretty well, in the sense of we never saw him physically drinking or drunk okay but there were plenty of times where i'd wake up in the middle of the night and he'd be passed out in front of the tv with beer bottles beer cans you know cigarette you have memories of that i was like six years old oh, seven yeah. years old. i mean i remember yeah. me and my brother used to sneak out even younger than that like my earlier or some of my earliest memories are sneaking out of my bedroom with my brother into the living room my dad's asleep taking little sips out of his his empties really i mean it was there we saw our, you know our dad drink it mm-hmm. you know at that young of age i want to be like daddy wow you know and, so um, was that actually like you're, you? So you're saying you have memory, like your first time actually even tasting it was yeah, around, like alcohol was around six years old, maybe younger, maybe, maybe younger. four, maybe five years old. I was living in Miami, so we moved to Delray from Miami in '95. So maybe my no, it was nine. It, let's see, I was in first grade, so I was you know however old six year old sixth grader, uh, first grader is. So I don't know, I was maybe like four or five years old, four, five, six, some, somewhere around that age. Um, but the first time I got drunk, I was nine. My wow. mom remarried and uh, her, her, her and, her and my stepdad were big drinkers, big partiers. You know, they, they lived in Bronx, New York. He was, came from an Irish family. Like drinking was the norm amongst him, his friends, my mom, their family, that was norm. What you were nine, was that around the time your mom got remarried or was that like at yeah, wedding? Yeah, that was, that was at her wedding. At her wedding? At her wedding. You're nine years old. My mom gave me and my brother a bottle of duck wine, which is like a, it's supposed to be like this very sweet red wine. And they thought it would be funny, you know, if me and my brother drank a bottle of red wine and we split a bottle of red wine. And uh, yeah, that was the first time I was drunk, you know, and wow. yeah. So your, is your parents' culture in your home it mm-hmm. was encouraged obviously yep dude nine years old yeah i actually don't yep. think i knew that yeah that's did, crazy did your mom have problems with alcohol so when i was about a year year and a half my mom ditched my mom like normal family normal dysfunctional families the dad goes out to get a pack of cigarettes never comes home in our family it was my mom and it was because she couldn't handle having two kids at the age of 28 years old and she was a drug addict and an alcoholic, you know. Um, she probably won't admit that to this day. I mean, really, I can't label her as that. That's her own decision. Um, but left my dad. Her? Like, when did you see her again? Because you're one and a half. Like, and you, you obviously were at the wedding when you're nine. Like, did you? My first memory of my mom, uh-huh. believe it or not, 
I must have been around the same age I was. It, it was in Miami, so I must have been four or five. Okay, so you feel like so like one and a half to four or five, your mom was out of the picture. Yeah, pretty much. And yeah. then you're so you're living with your dad the whole time. Yep. And then you're at the, your mom's wedding. Mm-hmm. And did, is that actually when it started? Were you nine, or was that just like one time? So that yeah, that was the first time I got drunk. Um, I probably didn't get drunk again until I was about twelve. Wow. Um, and me and my brother snuck into my uncle's liquor cabinet, um, and you know, drank whatever whatever was in there. At twelve. At twelve years old. Yeah. And then is that when it actually like? Do you feel like that's when it started? Like, was it consistent from that point on? So, as an alcoholic, there's a point of no return for mm-hmm. me, and that point was probably about fifteen years old, right? So between the ages of twelve and fifteen, like everything, everything in my life was was really unmanageable, out of control. Like I, I couldn't control my my emotions, rage. You know, I experienced a lot of depression. And so being, I didn't want to be in, in myself, right? I didn't want to feel the way I felt when I wasn't inebriated in some way. So smoking pot became an, I smoked pot for the first time I was 10. Um, my grandmother had just died. Like I was going through grief and I didn't, n- nobody knew how to help me. I remember being so angry at times, just trashing my room. And when asked, why did you do this? I'm like, I, I don't know. You know, and uh, I tried therapy. I went to grief counseling. I did all, you know, all this stuff. At like 10 years old. At like 10 years old, 10, 11 years old. And nothing, nothing calmed me down. Nothing made me feel good about myself except for smoking weed, getting drunk. That was like my thing. Were those your two drugs of choice primarily in your early teens? In my early teens, yeah. I mean, I dabbled with other drugs, cocaine, um, pills. At how old? Man, the first time I did painkillers i was in the ninth grade really it's yeah like maybe 14 15 maybe. yeah 14 years old yeah wow and i threw up on my bus it was the first day of school and a kid on my bus offered to sell me these these pills i'm like what are they he's like oh it's this whatever i'm like okay here's 20 dollars. i'll take that and i took him at school and uh I, I wound up throwing up on the bus on the way home from school yeah okay. because i i hated myself and i didn't realize that mm. is the thing you know, there was a lot of a lot of anger, deep-seated anger, and growing up with. I mean, when when my mom left and my dad, my grandfather realized my dad can't take care of me and my brother. He was a full-blown alcoholic. You know, he could not take care of us. So my grandfather offered for me, my brother, and my dad to live with them and my grandmother. So when my dad finally got sober, um, I think he recognized right away there. I had all these isms alcoholism tendencies and so he'd always warned me but it always fell on deaf ears because i'm like whatever i'm not like you you know that was always the thing i'm not like you nobody understands me you know i call it terminal uniqueness right a lot of people suffer from this terminal uniqueness yeah explain that so the idea that nobody anywhere has ever felt or experienced what you're going through and only you can handle it so you don't reach out for help you don't you know, you don't know how to, you don't choose to cope with it. Mm-hmm. Instead, you choose to self-medicate. So you, even though you knew your grandpa at this point, mm-hmm. had that background, you knew your dad, you still thought I'm unique. Oh yeah. I mean, at, at yeah. eight, nine, 10, 11 years old, I was going to AA meetings with my dad. Wow. You know, not as an alcoholic. Sure. No, no, no. Like it's Sunday morning. Yeah. I had a choice. I could go to Catholic church or I can, with my grandparents or I can go to AA meetings with my dad. And I was like, I'll go to AA meetings. They give me. Isn't that crazy? That was more exciting to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's more exciting to go to yeah. ca- your 
A meeting with your dad, mm-hmm. then, and, then a Catholic church. And it's so funny. Donuts, in 1995, dude, like 1997, I was going to the same place where I go to meetings now today. Really? Yeah. It, the, it's the same exact club clubhouse. Have you actually shared that with a the group there? Like, I, I yeah, can't yeah. hear No they, way. They know my grandfather. They know my dad. I know that. There are it's guys in my, in my home group who have been sober like 30, 40 years who know my family. That's unreal. I, I yeah. want to get to that, but I almost want to keep, keep you yeah. know, going through. Like When you said you're 15, you got to the point of mm-hmm. no return. What does that mean exactly? What, what does that look like? Every waking moment was, how do I get drunk? Okay. And every time I drank, I got blackout drunk. It was never just one or two. It was never just a few. It was like, I will drink until I'm not capable of drinking anymore. And that's, that's how it was from about the age of 15 to the age of 25. Wow. Ten, a decade, ten yeah. years of your life. Yeah. And at that time, did you recognize that that was abnormal compared to your peers? Were you like, "Oh, this is a problem," or were you just like, "Maybe everyone's doing this in private," or like, "What, how, what was that like?" That's such a. You know, it's funny. I just shared about this at a meeting. Um, I read Capture in the Rye, right? And I, I was okay with being insane, and I knew I was insane. At fifteen years old, sixteen years old. I knew I was different from my peers, but because of that terminal uniqueness, mm-hmm. I separated myself from anybody I deemed normal. And the uniqueness almost becomes a weird type of superiority. Exactly. Wow. And it didn't help that I was also incredibly intelligent. Mm-hmm. You know, not I don't I, no, no, I don't I don't mean this to boast. No, no, please elaborate. I don't mean this Big to brain boast. <laughs> I'm just but I was I was more advanced in in all of my schooling from a young age. You know, and when I was in the seventh grade, I actually got kicked out of school. I got caught selling fake joints to people. And um, I got a, recommended for expulsion. And in Palm Beach County, once you go through a certain period of time, it's either your expulsion st- sticks or it doesn't. And it didn't for me because it was, you know, determined that it was fake marijuana. Mm-hmm. So I went back to school and they're like, okay, you're not being challenged in school enough. So we're going to advance you into a higher grade. So I actually got moved up a class. So when I was in seventh grade, I was taking like ninth grade classes. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. So I was, yeah. And it is interesting. You're reading a book like Catcher in the Rye, like you described to us earlier off camera, but the idea that you so identified with this character Mm -hmm. and you justified now your actions through their normal. Yeah. It's okay for me to be insane. So therefore everything that I'm doing is normal to Mm -hmm. me, but it's abnormal to everyone else because they could never understand. Wow. Can you describe that decade? I'm just really curious from 15 to 25. (laughs) That's, that's an insane amount of time. And were you yeah. like, so were you functioning alcoholic by 16? Like, how do you even have a job or graduate high school? Like, how do you have a decade of blackout drunk? Like, yeah. you, you said you're blackout drunk yeah. and you just drink. Mm-hmm. So I was also incredibly manipulative and deceptive, right? That was my MO. I, I, if we were in any kind of relationship, friend or even parent or teacher or work, and whatever, my MO was always to manipulate and get my way out of this. Somehow get on top, you know? So, for example, when I was 15, I convinced my dad I, w- I didn't need school anymore. And so I got my GED at 15. And um, he didn't believe me. He's like, I don't, I don't think this is a good idea. I'm like, listen, if I can't pass my GED test on the first try, I'll, I'll go back to, to high school. I walked in there. I got a 98 on the GED. You know, I was done with school. I, and I convinced my dad of it. I didn't realize that. So you're actually like a so- sophomore age, 15 I, years old. Well, my freshman year, I actually failed. So I was about to repeat freshman year. So I actually only have technically an eighth grade education. Nice. Yeah. I did not know this. <laughs> right? So and you stick the GD and your dad's like, this is great. Mm-hmm. This is I great flunked idea. all F's ninth grade. Okay, so what do you do at 15 when you graduate high school? You what get you a job. 
So 15, 16, you had your yep. first job? Yep, I had a full-time no more school? Job. Yeah, I was done with school. Wow. So I, was, I, would, I, would work, I worked at a church. My first job was at a church. I was a maintenance man. And uh, I worked full time. <laughs> Why is that ironic? That's Dude, hilarious. we don't screen. We just go, hey, oh, you, you have hands and a, your heartbeat? Mm-hmm. Let's go. Well, no, no. So the, <laughs> the, the main pastor of this church yeah. was really good friends with my grandfather. Oh. My grandfather got me the job there so that I could be confirmed Catholic. Gotcha. Okay. But at this point in my life, I knew I wasn't a Catholic. Without a shadow of a doubt, I knew I am not Catholic. So you're 15 out of high school mm-hmm. or out of, I guess, middle, middle school. Yeah. <laughs> um, you have your GED and then you start working at a Catholic church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, just a side note, you're like the perfect trope of the primary suspect in every like murder mystery where it's like, who's the janitor? Well, he's this blackout, crazy alcoholic. It's like, maybe, but it's always like the misdirect. It's like the obvious choice for the killer. He's in the corner of the room. <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh. Dude. That was me. I, that was, I was really suspect, dude. Wow. I was really suspect. I stole, I used to steal food from the church. I, you know, whatever. I would sleep on the job, man. I took advantage of that church every chance. Dude, I did not even know. I actually mm. did not know that part of your yeah. Sorry, <laughs> dude it's crazy because i thought you were so like, i remember you worked at a restaurant so you did that mm-hmm. and then yeah once you're able to like wait tables or uh well in in the state of florida you can't serve alcohol until you're 18 okay right so most restaurants won't hire uh, hire you unless you're 18 sure so from the age of like 15 to 18 i took odd jobs i worked at wendy's i worked at um i did sales yeah um i worked one of my favorite jobs was liberty medical which was a prescription drug uh it was like a mail order pharmacy Right. Um, well, I figured out that I their clock in system was a thumbprint at the front door. I figured out if I just go and clock in and log into my computer and then leave, nobody knew because I worked the late night shift. So I would work only like maybe five to ten hours a week, but get, get paid like 35, 40 hours a week. And I would do all my sales. I would hit all my quotas in those two days, one to two days mm-hmm. so I could get away with it. And they, they didn't catch on for months. Dude, I, I wonder. There's so many things there. Right? Like, <laughs> if I'm an adult and I see this kid, like, hey, don't you go to school? Like, you have jobs. Like, yeah. hey, like, mm-hmm. hey, man, like, who are you? Like, and you I was know? making good money, too, especially at Liberty Medical. But, but I also yeah. want to take this, like, you know, so think about this. Like, you know, obviously that you're saying, did the alcohol play a role in that? Like, I'm curious how you, like, being manipulative, um, you know, taking advantage of people, taking advantage of working on the, you know, on the job, getting paid, not really working. Do you think mm. that's, like, a mixture of that's just who I was? That was, you know, not, not that you blame the alcohol, but like you basically lived like a lifestyle. You're like, wow, I was, I used people. I manipulated people. Mm-hmm. I stole money essentially. Yeah. Um, yes. Do you think that all worked kind of in unison or how? how well, it's, it's interesting, right? So I used to think that I was born with this disease, right? This alcoholic disease that made me do these things. Um, what I believe now is the alcohol was a symptom. Right, there was a symptom to something underlying that I never dealt with, and what I learned was that alcoholism is a threefold condition. A lot of people refer to it as a disease. I don't. I like to consider it a disease because it's easy for me. I don't want to mm-hmm. be cured of this because mm-hmm. it reminds me to stay sober. But it's 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 mental. There's a mental obsession, right? I thought about it. I it literally it can come back anytime. There's a physical craving, so it's physical. You know, when I crave something, I desire it very deeply, you know. And then it's a spiritual malady where I was void of any God whatsoever. I was, at 15 years old, I was absolutely sure God did not exist. Actually, I was 11 years old when I knew God didn't exist for or what I thought mm-hmm. I knew. Mm-hmm. 
And so, yeah, there, there was no gun. Morality was out the door. Mm. So manipulating people, taking advantage of people, stealing, lying, cheating. I mean... That's interesting at 11 you're saying there's no God. Mm -hmm. You know, at 15 you're confident of that as well. Yeah, very confident. I would argue with Christians. Mm -hmm. I would go toe-to-toe with with very well-versed Christians. I would read the Bible so that I could find the loopholes so that I could debate Christians. Mm. Which is funny. The irony is, all throughout my life, I would be put into situations where somebody was preaching the gospel to me. Mm. At 15, the, the priest would talk to me about Jesus all the time. All the time. You know, and I would tell him like I don't want to be a Catholic. He's like, ah, oh, Catholic, whatever. Yeah. But Jesus, and I'd be like, ah, that's not real. Mm-hmm. You know, my first girlfriend when I was like 17 years old would preach the gospel to me. Really, all the time, all the time. And she knew how you're living. And she knew how I was living. Was I she... took advantage of her. I lied to her. I cheated on her. All of it. Was she? I'm actually really curious. Was she in your mind? Because I mean, looking back now with this new framework, you actually know her. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't want to ask. You, yeah, but, I'm not going to say any names. But, I'll tell you. I'll tell you another time. <laughs> you actually know. But her. did you? Was she like a believer at that point in time? Yeah, like she was, she was truly a she believer. Was, she was like 17, I guess. Though. Yeah, 17. You know, we were. Yeah. You know, not making good decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Not a lot still, of good decisions. But she still felt the need to preach the gospel to you, mm-hmm. and it's insane mm-hmm. when you think about that because obviously, I feel like. So often we can meet people who are very like, well, they're an atheist, well, they're an alcoholic, mm-hmm. well, they're, and it's like they'll never come. And it's, it's just yeah. by the, it's you know, I'm sure for everyone who felt like maybe they're wasting their breath, and like wasting words on you, but to see like now where you're at, it's just such an encouragement to know like maybe it's the ten thousandth time you've shared Dude. the gospel. Yeah. That's just encouraging because I did, I actually did not know that either. I yeah. just did not know that there's all these people coming down your path. Oh, dude, it was it was left and right. I could I couldn't escape it. I really couldn't escape the the acknowledgement of God in my life. And at 18 years old, I was working with this kid who, we were both 18, we were working at Outback, we were busboys. And um, one day he asked me what I thought about God. And I'm like, oh, you got an hour so I can tell you how he's not real? And he's like, yeah, I do, let's do it. And we literally just talked about, and went back and forth, you know, and he would never relent, ever. He would never relent Mm. that Jesus was Lord. And uh, I used to love having conversations with him, even though I was on the other side saying, no, Jesus is not Lord. I can show you why. And I would have my Bible with me with, you know, highlighted, you know, my bookmarks in there on, on the loopholes and the, you know, the, the contradictions. And, mm. and he would always have an answer to it. And it always blew me away. Mm. And it always blew me away. Do you still know this guy? Or do you have No, any... he went on actually to move to Tennessee and become a, fa- like a, a, a very well-known country music star. <laughs> yeah. What's his name? Um, <laughs> Morgan do... Wallen. No, no, no. Dude, your was... life sounds like Johnny Cash. Like, it just sounds so bizarre. Like, he's actually a well-known musician in Tennessee. Yeah, I can't remember his name. What? Man. I mean, dude, I was drunk okay, most okay, of the time. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. hung out with him, you know? I wanted to be like Brad Paisley or Warrior <laughs> No, no, I wish. I wish. I would call him and be like, hey, guess what? I know Jesus. Yeah. He'd yeah. probably love it. Um, I mean, I saw him on Facebook once about seven years ago, and I sent him a message, mm. you know, maybe five years ago when I first got sober. Mm. And I, I made some quick amends, like, hey, you know what? I never should have said the things I said about God, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, it was quick. He just said thanks, you know? It was nothing, mm-hmm. nothing big. I have one quick, I, I don't want to interrupt the flow of mm-hmm. the story, but one quick clarifying question that I'm, that's, yeah, yeah. I want to understand. Why did you hate yourself so much so early on in your life? Because mm-hmm. I feel like not everybody mm-hmm. does. Like, yeah. I think that may be helpful for people to understand sure. you. Yeah, mm. I, I mean, it, so ju- just to kind of 
put it into perspective, I didn't know why mm-hmm. until I was about 28, 29 years old. Mm-hmm. I had already known Christ. I'd already been sober. And it took intense therapy to figure this out. But, you know, when you're a baby mm-hmm. and your mom abandons you, mm-hmm. you don't realize how important having a mother's love at a young age is, right? Even, you know, I mean, there was a lot. I had a lot of mommy issues is Mm. basically what it was. And then at 11, the closest thing to a mother, my grandmother, died of cancer. And it was a brutal battle with cancer. And so, and she was the real, she was the one who really pushed me to go to church, know God and Mm -hmm. things like that. So that's when I, when she died, I'm like, there's no way God can be real. Mm. No way God can take two mothers away from me. And this was all subconscious, ah. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, um, so yeah, the, it, was, it was a lot of hatred towards my mom, a lot of hatred. And it took me years to actually confront her and myself about that hatred. And I used, I, I basically blamed other women in my life. And that's why I was so manipulative and so um, really emotionally and verbally abusive towards women. I, I was never physically abusive, but mentally and verbally, absolutely, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, emotionally, I'm sure, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and I use the booze to kill the feelings of self, self worth, worthlessness, right? The inebriation gives you this self confidence, this fake self confidence, and it was easy for me to feel good about myself if I was drunk. Mm. But that also led me to get into a lot of fights and get beat up a lot. Well. Being a little guy, um, I would pick the biggest guy in the room and I would just talk smack until he punched me. One time I, I got into this... Was that like the goal until he punched me? Like, were you just trying to see what you could get out of him? Like, trying to roll him up? Yeah, that was that was my MO. Yeah, yeah. I, I just didn't care. And I was yeah. like, I'm tougher than you. And I'll show you. I'll prove it to you. Mm-hmm. You know? I'm I'm this big guy. I'm this important big big shot. Sure. Um, there were a couple times... One time this I got I got into it with this big guy, big dude. Friend of Chase's, actually. And we were playing pool... And I, I pushed him, and he picked me up and bear hugged me. This was a big guy. Yeah. You know, big, big dude. And I headbutted him in the face, and I actually hit his forehead with my nose, gave myself two black eyes, and I had to go to work the next day like that. It was so embarrassing. But that was the kind of stuff that I would do. Um, one time I, I mouthed off to this biker. We used to hang out at this biker bar. And I didn't know this, but he was, like, connected with this very dangerous biker gang. And... Um, so he wanted to play pool. We were playing pool. I was mouthing off. That was, you know, always what I did. And he walks away, and some dude comes up to us. He's like, you guys better go. I'm like, absolutely not. This is our bar. This is my pool table. Nobody's going to tell me. He's like, no, you got to go. You got to go, or else something really bad's going to happen. And I'm like, what are you talking about? So Chase called his dad, and his dad was also very connected to this biker gang. His dad comes down. Talks to the guy, and the guy comes up, he apologizes. Like, this is all really bad for my ego, is what it was. The guy apologizes to me, and he's like, don't worry, it's your table. I'm like, I don't know what just happened, but no, you can have it. Later on, the original dude who told us to get out of here tells us, like, that dude was going out to his truck to get a pistol to shoot you because you don't know who you're messing with. Like, you need to keep your mouth shut around here. Like, that's the kind of stuff I dodged. I dodged, literally dodged bullets many times. Yeah, because you're saying, looking at your life, you got into fights with random people. You're, yeah. you're lying, manipulating, stealing. You, you know, it led to this dark path. And so, like, now 18, you know, uh, you're working in a restaurant. Um, I mean, 18, 25, I'm just, I am very curious kind of what, <clears throat> so what were some wake-up calls? Did you have wake-up calls? What helped you step out of it a little bit? 
Um, I know you've had some kind of scary yeah. moments like the gun thing. Like, I know you had some other no. scary moments, but it's weird how none of those like woke you up initially, right? Like the first time you shared your story with me or like I flipped my car or I had a DUI. It's like all yeah. these things. Or maybe you actually didn't technically, but can you explain I, No, that? I never got a DUI. I, I used to drink and drive a lot. And um, when I was 22, so what I would do, every, every time I ruined my life up to a certain point, I would get up and go somewhere else, mm. right? I would just leave. I would think all my problems would be left behind. And so when I was 22, I lost my job. I was drinking on the job, and I got fired. And um, I was seeing this girl. She invited me to come live with her. I'm like, eh, no. My mom's like, well, I'm living in Arizona. Why don't you come live with me? We don't really have that great of a relationship. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, that probably sounds like a good idea. So my life was in shambles anyway. So I picked up everything and moved, you know. Out in Arizona, I couldn't stand it there. I wound up picking up a, a severe drug problem, heroin, crack, um, any, anything that would really get me high. And, um, and my drinking actually got worse because I recognized the drugs became a real issue. Mm-hmm. I actually came back to Florida for a couple of weeks and detoxed on my friend's couch, mm-hmm. um, got off the heroin, mm-hmm. never touched the stuff again. How long were you using heroin for? Six months a year, yeah. something okay. like that. But it got dark real quick, mm. dark real quick. Um, and I realized very quickly, like, I don't want to be like this. This is way too far for sure. me. I've gone way too far. And so um, when I came back to Arizona, uh, I used alcohol to help me detox from the drugs. So now, not only was I blackout drinking, but I was drinking like a handle of vodka or tequila almost every single day. And if I didn't have hard liquor... I would easily drink a case of beer by myself and I could drink all day long. And a lot of times I would. And so, um, smoked a lot of pot, drank a lot. And again, I was flunking out of college. I tried college and I was like, this, this isn't for me. I was flunking out Mm -hmm. is really what it was. Couldn't get to class Mm -hmm. on time. I would take like these 5 PM classes (laughs) and I still couldn't wake up in time to get to class sometimes. Uh, my life was in shambles again. And I did this time. I did it in like two years. And so I was out there in Arizona in two years and I was like, all right, I'm leaving. And I came back to Florida and I must've been back in Florida for like four months. It was my birthday. I was so drunk and I used to practice saying my ABCs backwards. I used to practice walking straight lines. I used to practice the, you know, all the stuff that they would do on a typical DUI check. I would practice those things. So when I was drunk, I could do them naturally. And I was at a friend's house, and he's like, you better stay. Give me your keys. Mm. I'm like, no, I'm totally sober. And he's like, no, you're not. No, you're not. And he's like, all right, walk a straight line. No problem. He's like, all right, say your ABCs backwards. No problem. All right, stand on one foot and touch it. No problem. He's like, all right, I guess you're not that drunk. Here are your keys. I was very drunk. I was very, very drunk. He really should have kept the keys. But again, you know, very manipulative, you know. And so I was driving home. And I hit a, uh, I, I just, I must have dozed off is really what happened. But I was doing like 60 on a back road, like your neighborhood road here. And it was a turn and I must have dozed off because I went straight into a culvert and it hit my driver's side wheel and I, excuse me, I flipped it into somebody's yard and I destroyed their yard, their driveway, my car, right onto their, boom, right in the middle of the yard. And that was the first time I totaled a car. The thing was like a tuna can just quick crunched and uh, I got kicked the door out got out of the car knocked on the lady's door and said call the cops I crashed my car I need an ambulance and she's like get off my lawn I'm like what call the police I just crashed my car look she's like get out of here just get your stuff and go 
I'm like, okay. So I just waited for the cops to come. Somebody eventually called and the cops came and the cop literally pulls me over the side and he's like, listen, when I was your age, somebody gave me a chance. I'm going to pass that good deed on to you. I'm going to give you a chance. Just go to the hospital and you don't get a DUI. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, the lady in the house actually is, she's a, a known crackhead. People, the cops come out here all the time. She doesn't want to press any charges. So no property damage. Just get your stuff and go. And it's crazy when you hear that because you're thinking, you know, wow, like, is that God's grace? You didn't get caught or is it, would it have been better for you to get caught? Because your life didn't change there, right? That wasn't like a, no. that wasn't like a defining moment. So like, it's like, you go, wow, the guy didn't, the cop didn't give you, and I don't know if he, I don't know if he, if by him giving you a DUI or by him pressing charges, or I don't, I have no idea if they would have woken you up either, but that, that's just an insane kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was, it really was insane. It was insane for the guy to let me go. Yeah. Like, yes. And, and I'll never forget the guy, although I don't know his name and I don't know what he looks like, mm-hmm. but I'll never forget that night. <laughs> um, so that wasn't a wake up call. No. And you're like, let me mm-hmm. just go back to my same yeah. old thing. I would actually, so what would happen is I would get into, I would get arrested or I'd get in trouble or, you know, I'd get caught stealing, get fired from a job and I would ask for help from my family and their go-to is always the same. You got a problem, go to AA. And so it it was just another one of those scenarios. You got a problem, go to AA. So I'd go to AA for a couple of weeks. I'd dry out, we call it. Like I would stop drinking for a couple of weeks, you know, but I would get the shakes, man. Mm -hmm. It was, it was rough. It was hard. And after a couple of weeks, the shakes go away, but I'm, st- I wanted, I just was so, I was craving it so bad. I thought about it all day. And so within a few weeks, I was drinking again and I was drinking the same way I left off. No differences, you know? Um, and I actually, somebody offered to sell me a car for very cheap working car, great condition because I had crashed mine and I literally, I turned it down. I said, no, you know what? I'd rather ride my bike and drive a car because I don't think I'm that safe behind the wheel. Like that was how I made decisions. Will I kill myself or someone else? Most likely I'll take a bike. Because you're obviously still planning on drinking. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still in the mindset of I'm an insane person, right? The way I handle life is like a crazy person would. And therefore, you know, I'm not safe behind a wheel, but I'm not willing to give up booze. So I chose to ride a bike for two years. And I feel like these stories, like, I'm sure you have so many more, but what, okay, that's like, you know, you crash mm-hmm. a car, it sounds like you're 24 at this point in time, kind of a thing, yeah, right? 22. You're back, 22, mm-hmm. okay, you're in Arizona, came back here, mm-hmm. crashed your car. What was the next, was there, what was the wake-up call, I guess? Or was there more, just more of these kind of moments? So there was a lot more of those moments. Okay. But there was a wake-up call very similar to that one three years later. Okay. So um, I had wrecked up my life pretty good. I moved down to Palm Beach. My brother had actually been trying to get sober for a while and he finally did it. He he was sober for like two and a half years. And really we didn't, we didn't talk that much in that two and a half year period. And, um, I told him like, Hey, my life is in in shambles. Dude, I need help. He's like, okay, come move down to Palm beach, you know, come live with, with pop, with our grandfather. And, uh, and he'll help you out. I'm like, okay. So I did it. I moved down here. Literally my entire life could fit in the backseat of a car. You know, that, that's how I lived. And so I get down here and I dried out a couple, few weeks, don't drinking, but then it started again, you know, and very quickly, my grandfather knew what was going on. He's like, all right, here's the deal. You're not allowed to bring booze in the house. You're not allowed to bring smoke weed in the house. No women in the house. Uh, if you get drunk, don't come home. I don't want to see you. He's like, if I catch you drunk in my house, I'm throwing you out. 
So I didn't have a lot of options. So a lot of times I found myself sleeping in my car at a parking lot, at the beach, whatever. I mean, there, I'd been homeless by choice before, you know, m- multiple times. So this was no big deal, whatever. But then one night I was showing off with some friends. I was driving a Mustang at the time, and I lost control making a turn, and I totaled it. I crashed into To this day, I don't even know what I crashed into. I was so drunk. I have no idea what I crashed into. And I just knew that the, the car was totaled. And I got out of the car, and I had never felt this way before. I was so defeated. My, I literally just, I got a glimpse of my life, and my, I just, I'm like, my life sucks. I am miserable. I hate myself. There's only one place I really need to be. I need to be in jail. That's the only place I will be safe from myself. So I made the decision to go to jail that night. Wasn't in God's plan. I literally, I'm standing there just like slumped over, you know, like, you know, drunk. Were your friends in that car? Because you said you're trying to show off. I was by myself. Oh, I thought thought you said you're trying to show off. They were in the car right next to me. Oh, okay. They they just keep going? They sped off. They saw me crash. They came back around. They're like, what are you doing? I'm like, just go. I want to go to jail. I'm done. My life is over. I just want to be done. You know, yeah. I'm like, I, I don't want to be anymore. I don't want to be around. You know, I was too afraid to kill myself. But the thought of suicide was there for years and years and years. Mm. But I was too scared to do it. So I'm like, all right, jail's the next best thing. You know, they pick me up and throw me in the back of the car and drive away. So I'm like, oh, I guess this is happening. So I call up my brother who, uh, you know, he's it's the middle of the night. It's like three o'clock in the morning. He man, he actually answers his phone, which is rare for him. Like, it's like what eleven, like ten o'clock right now. If I called my brother right now, he would not answer the phone. But for, by some miracle, he answered at three o'clock in the morning. And I told him what happened. He says, "Turn off your phone, go home, go to sleep. I'll take care of it." It's like okay. He makes a couple of phone calls. A guy we went to middle school with is still friends with. He's still friends with him. Ran into him a few days earlier. He calls him up. He's a Boynton Beach police officer. He's like, yo, my brother crashed his car. Can you can you do something about this? He's like, all right, I just got off my shift, which wasn't his normal shift. Like, all of this is God's intervention, dude. And he goes to the scene of the accident. The guy riding up the scene of the accident is his best friend on the force. He's like, just tow the car. Don't worry about it. Don't file any, any – um, don't file anything. I'll take care of it. So another time, kind of got out. Did, did that, like – I don't know, what did that do for you? Were you like, I can keep getting away with this? Did it build that? Kind of, that or was it like a, wow, I'm thankful? Like, what did... So at this point in my life, every morning I woke up, I woke up with an absolute feeling of dread and frantic, right? So I woke up that morning absolutely frantic. Where my, you know, my normal routine, where's my phone? Where's my wallet? Is there any money in my wallet? Where are my keys? Where's my car? And not to mention, where am I? Right. That's how I woke up. Mm. Where am I? I was in this girl's room. It was clearly a girl's room. The walls were painted pink. It was a small bed. So it was a little girl's room. I'm like, where am I? And my friend comes in. I'm like, and it's like, starts coming back to me. Like, oh my gosh, was that real? My friend walks in the door. He's like, yeah, Dylan, by the way, everything that happened last night was real. You told your car, you're, you're screwed. The cops were there and everything. I'm like, oh no. I answer my phone. I turn my phone on. I have like a hundred missed calls. My dad, my brother, and my grandfather. I'm, I'm like, wow, my life. I'm, I've ruined my life yet again, and I have nowhere else to go. So I go and talk to, I confront my family, and they're like, Dylan, like you have a problem. Like, my brother is, my, my brother is like the only man in my life. My brother and my grandfather. The, my brother was the only guy in my life at the time 
where I believed everything he said and I trusted everything he said. And he says to me, he says, you know what, Dylan, I did you a huge favor. You're not going to jail because of what I did for you last night. So you just got to do one thing for me. I'm like, anything you want. He says, go to an AA meeting. Go for every day for seven days. And I'm like, okay, I could do that. You know, in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, I've done that before plenty of times. Mm-hmm. And um, so I started going to the 7 a.m. meeting in Delray. And, uh, and but that, I don't know what it was. After a few days, I'm sitting in the meeting. They kept, they, they read these promises at the meeting, right? Actually, I want to share them with you because this is, this is, this is what kept me sober. And it's going to take me a second to, to find it real quick. Um, but they're called the ninth step promises. And, uh, I literally, they read it at every meeting. And I remember thinking to myself, like, there's no way these promises come true in my life. There's no way. Mm. And, um, um, bear with me one second. 11 step promises. So you're like 25 years old. You had another car crash mm-hmm. at an A meeting yeah. because your brother said, do me a favor. Yep. And they're reading these promises to you now. Yeah. Was, did you find it? I yeah. Wonder. Okay, yeah. go ahead and read it. So I just want to make clarify. Here you are. And this is the last, is this that turning the, point? Or the, no? This was it. Okay, so this I mean, is like, you're sitting there I, I meeting. was so defeated. I was so fed up with the way I lived my life. Yeah. Like I was, my own, in my mind, my only option is I'm going to go to jail. Jail. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't even think, growing up, going to AA meetings, I didn't even think there was another way. Sure. You know, and... And I go, my brother gets me to this meeting, and after a few days, he tells me, you don't have to go anymore. You know what? It's wrong of me to tell you to do this because you can't pull a drunk off a bar stool. It doesn't mm. work that way. I had to want it. But when I heard this, and I'm just going to read it. Yeah. If we're painstaking about this phase of our development, we'll be amazed before we're halfway through. We're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. And they always ask, are these extravagant promises? And the answer is, we think not. Dude, this is like liturgy almost, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're reading from the big book, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And what about these promises that they're reading? What was the thing that go, yeah, that's it. Because you said, I, I don't think this is possible for me. But what? <laughs> I felt, I would literally sit, if I were ever sitting by myself, right? I would only think about things that I had done. And I knew I had some moral compass, you know, because I would feel so much guilt and shame and regret and and just like I I couldn't be alone because those those memories would come back to me. Like things I would do in a blackout would suddenly just pop back mm-hmm. into my head. Yeah. And I'd be like I'm like I can't I can't live with this. Yeah. And I would have to be drunk again. Because I would try and kill those, you know, or the feelings of, of, of absolute, I, I don't even know how to describe it. It's almost like, you know, like being thirsty for water in a desert for days 
but those are your emotions. Just completely, utterly, just like you're drowning in a, in a pit of your own despair. And so when I heard these promises, I thought to myself, well, reg- not regret my past. How could I ever not regret my past, the things I've done? Um, how, how could I ever know how to handle situation? I'm constantly baffled with new situations. If I stub my toe, I don't know how to handle it. Like it talks a lot about fear of the fear of people. I was so terrified of people. I couldn't be sober with another individual person because I would be so, so anxious, so afraid of what they would think of me. You know, if they, if they only knew who I really was, they wouldn't want to be anywhere near me. Like there was a lot of fear, a lot of fear. And in those promises, I heard there is a way. There is a way out. You can be okay. You can be good. And, um, and so within a few, week, few days, man, I was like, yeah, I want, I want those things. I want economic security. I don't want to be afraid of people. I don't want to regret my past anymore. I don't want to be baffled by life. And so I just kept going back and I got a sponsor and I started working the steps and I worked them thoroughly. You know, today I believe my, my life verse is James five sixteen. Mm. you know, through, through prayer and confession uh, or the healing begins with prayer and confession, you know, um, like that, because I had to be so honest for the first time in my life. I spent the first 25 years of my life completely just lying about every aspect. When I was living in Arizona, I used to go to these these parties, these college parties. I would literally make up personas Mm. and then be that persona for the entire night. Mm. Just make up people and then become that person because I hated myself so much. And now we're talking about I can be me, honestly me. with, And you know what? I, I learned a lot. It's none of my business what you think about me. So I get to be me. Hmm. You know, that person who, who did those things, that person is dead. This new man, well, he's free and he could be whatever he wants to be. You know, I'm an, I'm an, I have an eighth grade education. I own a business, a very successful business. I'm married to an incredibly smart, beautiful woman today, you know, and like that man, that man and 25 years old. None of those things were possible. And I want to get... Dude, I want to get to that so bad. But I'm also like... Yeah. I, this is so interesting. So that... Was that actually the last time you took a drink? 25? Yeah. So February, still... February 7th, 2014 was the last drink I ever had. It's awesome. Man. I have it written down in this book. So I never forget. So you hit eight years this year? Yep. Let's yep. go, bro. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. And now I have so many thoughts and comments because yeah, yeah. you're still not a Christian at this point. No. Obviously, even that big book, there's certain like... It's it, interesting, right? <clears throat> so it sounds like a liturgy like... We'll read this. Everyone says something after. It sounds, you know, they mentioned God in there. Oh, there's there's many so times. many, you know, and I'm excited to talk about this now because there's so many misconceptions, I think, around AA, yeah. especially within the church. Um, I think sometimes it's like, I, I kind of grew up in, I think, an environment where it's like, you don't need that. You don't need AA. And I understand why it's like, all you need, you know, I don't need 12. I've heard this like a lot. You don't need 12 steps. You need one. Jesus. Mm-hmm. And you know, and in reality, like that, there's a part of me that's like, I deeply believe that. Like, I deeply yeah. believe that. And I think, well, and I want to get to that about your story. But there's also some things in the book, whether it's confession, whether it's making amends, kind of like reconciliation. There's some of these steps that are so based out of scripture. They're so gospel, like reconciliation ideas or uh, confession, like confessing your sin one to another. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just. There's this like element 
but it's still missing the most important thing because it's not how can Dylan go from being a blackout drunk, ruining his life, wrecking cars, mm-hmm. living crazy to now he's sober. Because that's that's a beautiful story, but that's still not mm-hmm. the story we're here to like celebrate. There, there's mm-hmm. like more than that. But so I want to know like you're 25, you're still an atheist, right? Yeah. Like you're you have a sponsor now. Like I actually what what led you then to the journey of maybe there's a God or maybe now Jesus and like. How did Jesus play a role in this? Did you look back and did your your view of the steps change? You know, if you can kind of speak into some of that. Yeah. Actually, this, this is my favorite part, and, and I'm gonna. <laughs> I do believe Jesus is in AA. Sure. And that man has taken Jesus out of AA, mm. but I I bring him back every time I go into a room, right? Because I believe, and I'm a man of AA, right? I'm a Christian first, right? So I want to put that out there. But uh, at, at this point in, in my recovery, yes, I was an atheist. I was absolutely, I was a self-proclaimed, Because there's very some proud sort of like atheist. higher power kind mm-hmm. of communication, right? And, I, oh, yeah. and can you explain like the mindset maybe behind, because I feel like you've explained this to me a little bit off camera, which is, it was helpful for me in my understanding mm-hmm. of AA. Because from my understanding, and you can please speak into this, the origin, even the guy who kind of created the steps, it's like I want everyone and anyone to be able to participate in this to experience freedom. Yeah. But I do hope that the higher power eventually, like, it's almost like a way for them to eventually believe in God, eventually believe in Jesus. I could be off on that. But could you kind of speak into, and maybe even your yeah. um, sponsor and kind of how that led you to where you are today? Well, um, so real quick, I just want to mention. Yeah. So the original founders of AA were Christians. Okay. Right? And the guy who, one of the most profound founders, this guy, Bill, Bill Wilson, he had this Christ moment in a mental institution. And he actually talks about it. And he uses very Christian language. And I'll, I'll get back to the yeah. origins of how it was a Christian organization to mm. start. But for me, my, um, you know, being an atheist, you know, the second step is uh, came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity mm. or restore us to sanity. They use a lot of those words, us, uh, we, things like that. Um, so I told my sponsor, I'm like, I'm going to struggle with this. I, this we're going to have to take our time here, you know. Because one, I knew I was insane. Mm-hmm. But two, I didn't believe there was any being greater than myself, right? That I couldn't c- cook up on my own, you know? Mm-hmm. And he presented a, a logical fallacy that I, I couldn't wrap my head around. Okay. And he said, do you believe that I believe in God? Sure. And, and I, I thought, at first I was a little, not, not perplexed, but I was a little annoyed by that question because, yeah. you know what, I couldn't argue that fact. I said, sure. of course I believe you believe. Yes. You know? But that doesn't mean I believe. He said, that's all you need. Mm. You just need to believe that I believe. Mm. Right? And, and is this like early on in his sponsorship? This was, I was probably like 60 days sober at this okay. time. Yeah. And he's like, let me introduce you to the idea of God. Yes. It was immediate. It was, yeah, okay. it was immediate. Like I was, it took me like 30 days to get the, what we call mocus, mm-hmm. like get my br- the fog out of my brain. Gotcha. Yeah. I yeah, was yeah. still... Yes. Like I didn't sleep for two weeks when yes. I put down the booze. Yeah. I didn't, uh, I couldn't string together really sentences. And, and can you also, like, yeah, I'm actually curious if you can speak into that because, mm-hmm. you know, there's obviously, you know, people who it's like, well, if you get off at cold turkey, you could die. Right. Yeah. Like there's some of those, I mean, That's you, you kind of hear that, right? With severe mm-hmm. drinking. Yeah. So how do you process that? I guess that first few weeks or. Um, it was awful. Mm. I mean, I don't really have a lot of recollection because mm. there were there were times where I thought I was asleep, but I may have been hallucinating. Uh, I never had seizures, but that's common. Okay. There's only two drugs that you can withdraw from and die, mm. and that's alcohol and um, 
anti-anxiety medications. And I don't, I don't know if most people like know like that how severe it is, how addictive it is, how withdrawing it yeah. can. Like you said, it's yeah. led to death for many. Um, I mean, it really it depends on the individual. It sure. depends on how hard they were drinking. So mm-hmm. at the point that I was in my life, I was only twenty five. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd only really had ten years of hard drinking. Um, really, the last five were really severe. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wasn't to the point where I needed hospitalization. Thank God, you know. But it depends on the situation. There are yeah, plenty yeah. of guys that I've I've met where I'm like, yeah, AA works, but you should probably go to a detox center. Because because you'll 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 probably you'll probably seize have yes, seizures you'll seizures you'll need medical attention yeah. so there might be so, yeah mm-hmm. there's medication that they'll give they'll give people sure. to help them you know wean off of yes. uh, withdraw from it and that's in severe cases but yeah. you you also I mean we're somewhat of a severe case I mean I I get that wasn't 30, 40 years but yeah. I mean you're a huge part of your development your teens into your early twenties I was you're... like a mid grade. Bottom. Wow. Okay. All right. My sponsor was a low bottom. Now, was your sponsor like daily? Because I mean, the first few weeks I'm sure were so difficult, and the withdrawals were so heavy. Mm-hmm. Like, did your sponsor call you once a day, twice a day? Because well, at the time I was living with my grandfather. Okay. At this point, he had been sober like 45 years. So he had a lot of experience yeah. with that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, that's not a luxury a lot of people have, right? Like you're no. living with someone who yeah also came out of that. I mean, a lot in in Delray in Florida, especially. There's a lot of halfway houses, a lot of treatment centers. So it was almost like I yeah. had a halfway house where you know my grandfather was the house manager, so to speak. And we got to talk about that, like South Florida, like Delray is like the recovery capital mm. of the world. Oh yeah, like I mean, that's honestly we could have a whole podcast yeah, so on, on that. that. I mean, there's some documentaries I think just yeah. on like Delray, like on yeah. South Florida. It's there's a lot of good, but there's a lot of bad. Mm. There's a lot of really dark stuff happening in treatment mm. down in South Florida mm. and in halfway houses. Gosh. Yeah, and, and they make they can make a lot of money, and that's probably different. Like you said, a different. Mm-hmm. And it's when you have no when your higher power is yourself, mm-hmm. it's really easy to take advantage and, and, and hurt people. Yeah. And that happens down here. Human trafficking, all sorts of stuff. Oh, gosh, it's really bad. Whoa. But you luckily had a good sponsor. Yeah. And this sponsor happens to be a Christian, right? Well no. Or no? No, my okay, sponsor so was not a Christian. So he's like a theist? I would yeah, I would say he was a theist. Okay. He so was he, definitely a theist. So he believes in God. Mm-hmm. Like a God. It it was just a very uh, rudimentary God. Okay. You okay. Know? So it I mean, for me, like my, my spiritual walk started off very slowly, right? Mm-hmm. Actually, the, the the big book talks about this. We call we call the AA book. Yes. We call it the big book. Yeah. Right. By the and way, then the I Bible think you should explain that terminology. Book. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the big book, the Alcoholics Anonymous book, <laughs> is uh, it, it actually? I mean, only 164 pages of the text, or actual or the actual textbook. The rest of this mm. are all stories. Gotcha. Right, and then in the very back in the appendix, they have um, different, just different tools to help help an alcoholic sure. who, who might be new to AA. And one of the things that has back here is uh, something called the spiritual experience on page five sixty seven, where it kind of explains where you know there's two types of spiritual experiences people in AA can receive. Right, they can have what's called a white light experience. Where it's a literally a come to Jesus moment, mm-hmm. right? You you just all of a sudden, boom, white light, you believe. And then there's the educational variety, right? I mean, AA was literally designed not to stop people from drinking. That's a big misconception. Okay, and it, that. and it says it in the book, and I, I can't remember exactly what page. It's designed is. not to stop people from drinking. It's desi- it, the des- the design of AA is is not to stop drinking. It's mm. to have a relationship with God. 
Uh, that's it what, actually states that's the purpose that's of, the purpose of this book to have a relationship with god yes so that to me is something i, I feel like m- many people don't know let alone the christians mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Yes. i think you'd say what's the if you ask like what's the purpose of aa it's basically it's like i would say simply people common answer would be just to break addiction yeah no. right but no. you're saying it's actually to bring people to god yep it is <clears throat> is the thesis that basically like addiction is the thing standing in between a person and a relationship to God or why is the misconception there in the first place? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, well, AA is considered a secular program today. Yeah. Okay. 1935 when it was founded, it was not a secular program. It was a Christian program. Mm. And when they, what's called 12 step, that's when you go and find an alcoholic and, and bring them into a sober environment. Um, the, the process was they would, they would call churches mostly or hospitals and, you know, hey, who's your drunkest person? And they'd hand out the number and then the AAs would go and meet them. The alcoholics would go and meet the, the drunk guy. And they would take them and ask them a few questions. Hey, do you want to get sober? Like, is this where you Okay, great. The first thing that they would do is take them to a hospital to detox. Mm. And while they're in the detox, which was only like a week long back then, they would send in men to ask you questions. And one of the questions was, are you willing to do whatever it takes to stay stopped? Mm-hmm. And if the answer to that question was yes, the very next thing they did is, okay, get on your knees and pray. Really? We're going to pray, for, we're gonna pray to, to Jesus that you no longer drink. It's, that first question is interesting to me as well because it does remind me of Jesus. Just, you know, It's a weird question, right? Do you want to be made well? Mm-hmm. When, when Jesus asked that, I yeah. feel like in, when I read that passage, you're like, well, obviously, but you know, it's not always obvious. Right. right. There, there's some people who are like, no, I, I've talked to several right here. Like I'm happy with living on the streets and having this life. Yep. And I, I, I just, I want to maintain this. All so the time you, cause that. you said something earlier about that. Like you can't drag a drunk off a stool mm-hmm. or however you put it, but the idea of they have to want it, yeah. which is hard because you almost want to drag them off a stool, right? Like someone you love and care about. I feel like that would be like something I'd, you'd want to fight. Like I want to, I want to rip you out of this, but obviously we're acknowledging that. You well, said you have to want it. You know what a common phrase is? Don't throw your pearls to swine. Mm-hmm. If a, a drunk doesn't want, and we're, I, that's, that's out right Bible, out of the Bible. Mean, or do you mean it in AA? In AA. Really? They in say, AA, yeah. There are so many, so many but biblical verses used in AA. Yeah. We end every meeting mm. the same way. Uh, the Lord's Prayer. Really? Exactly as it is in our Christian Bible. Not the Catholic version, but the, the Christian right out of Matthew. Yeah. Every single day. Isn't that's that interesting? And some people probably just say it mindlessly, not even believing yeah. it, right? Like they're obviously like they're like you are. You're an atheist saying our Father in Heaven. Mm-hmm. You're kind of maybe in touch with your Catholic roots in some ways when you're doing that. Yeah. But I'm like, how many people are basically saying that? And I do wonder the power even of that, right? Because you know you're saying this, not believing it at that point in time. But and I want to know what went. You know, okay, give me back to this journey. You're being sponsored. Gotcha. This yeah. guy's introducing you to God. And what's bringing you now to eventually to, was that a certain step you found in Jesus? Was it after all the 12 steps? So, all right. So I got sober in 2014. I got saved in 2016, almost exactly two years. Okay. Because it was like right around Valentine's Day where I gave myself to the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. And invited Jesus to, you know, really take take me. Mm-hmm. Um, but my journey through that was, was one of the educational variety, right? So it started off, I literally, I had to do things like pray to ceiling tiles. Right? I would lay in bed and I would have to, this was instructed by my sponsor. Now, he asked me, are you willing to do whatever it takes to stay sober? And I said, yes. So that meant that I just invited this guy to tell me exactly what to do 
and I would do exactly what he would say. Mm. He would tell me to do crazy things. <laughs> okay. Right? Because I didn't believe in God. He's mm. like, all right, don't worry about it. Pray. I'm like, yeah. I don't know how to pray. He said, look up at the ceiling tiles and talk to them. Tell them about your day. And he'd be like, okay, that's weird. Yeah. And he's like, I don't care if it's weird. Do it. I'm like, okay. And I would do that. <laughs> I would do that. And once I got used to that, like that was mm-hmm. part of my daily routine. He's like, okay, now tonight when you get home, I want you to put your shoes under your bed. I'm like, why? He said, just do it. But when you get up and you go to take your shoes out from under the bed, I want you to pray to your bed. It got me into a posture of kneeling to pray. And so that became my routine. And he never, ex- he didn't have to explain. That was the deal. This is so interesting. And this guy's not a Christian. He's not a Christian. But he's Christian. teaching some of these like rhythms. Yes, dude. Yes. I wanted to meet yeah. this guy. Why was he even, do- was that maybe he's... how he was sponsored in some ways too? Yeah, was absolutely. he just repeating? Absolutely. So really? funny thing. So my sponsor was sponsored by this guy, Tom, who also sponsored my brother. Tom sponsored okay. my brother. Shout out Tom. <laughs> yeah. Tom was sponsored by my grandfather. No way. Yeah. Okay. So my like our sponsorship family yeah. can be traced back. And my grandfather was sponsored by a guy who was sponsored by Bill W. Okay. So we can literally trace our sponsorship family tree. Because my grandfather got sober in 70. Only sure. 35 years earlier, Bill W. I mean, Bill W. was still alive sponsoring us. But anyway, long story short. Um, it almost sounds like a little bit like a cult, too. Or it's like, you know, like I, Joseph it, Smith, the, or, the, guy who wrote the, the guy who wrote the book. It is. <laughs> It is. I mean, dude, Bill W. Um, but you're saying uh, Bill W. Bob, was a Christian, like a follower of Jesus. Yeah. I mean, in his story, he has a story here, and I'm just going to pull up and read a couple of little lines from it because he talks about Christ. He just doesn't say Christ. I, and I almost want to ask as you're looking for it. Brandon, did you know that? Did you know the founders were followers of Jesus? I, I did, actually. You did know that? Yeah. Do you think that's a common thing that people know? Um, I don't know oh, how common that is, but it, it does make sense because... Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's easy to see how if someone wanted to secularize AA, you could just take out like replace the God of the Bible and just say like, yeah, like just whatever you feel like praying to, but like keep everything else the same, so, which I kind of feel like is what's happened now. It's just like a very generic higher power and, and, um, yeah, just in a generic mm-hmm. sense. But I did, I did hear that like the original folks were born again Christians. Yeah. Well. Well, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of misunderstandings about what changed. Ultimately, I'll tell you how how Christ got removed is Jewish people started getting sober, Muslims started getting sober, atheists started getting sober, Buddhists, Hindus, mm-hmm. these people who have you know who believe in a specific religion, sure, they're not going to teach Christ if they don't know. Christ. So the steps were mm-hmm. working. You're saying like these yeah. these I, these twelve kind of principles pulled from scripture. Were working mm-hmm. and they wanted to make it more for the masses they, they just yeah they, okay. they wanted to get drunk sober and then but i'm sure there's certain um aa kind of communities or groupings like there was some like little churches like you know spread out where the maybe some of the sponsors and maybe some of the people who are helping run it are followers of jesus so they're oh, like absolutely they're introducing there are plenty there are tons of christians mm-hmm. that go to my group mm-hmm. you know but so every group has its own way of doing things, right? The fourth tradition basically allows each individual group to have autonomy to run itself. AA is a very interesting, very uniquely, uh, um, a very uniquely governed program, where in a sense it's it's a nonprofit, but it's not governed, mm. right? Every group is autonomous in its own way. So my particular group, I've actually had had conversations about making our group conscious 
known, our, our, our higher power known as God, as Jesus. It was turned down. It was voted on. They didn't agree. I said, okay, nothing I can do about that. Oh, really? That's like yeah. recent? This was, I mean, this well, is actually, that happened. yeah, this was probably 2017. So what's it called? What do you call that? that uh, uh, it's called a group conscience. A group conscience. Mm -hmm. And you suggested for that group conscience, can we acknowledge that our higher power here is Jesus? Yeah. And they said no. Mm -hmm. And you saw this mindset of like, well, I still want to, this is a great yeah. tool to also introduce people to Jesus. Mm -hmm. So I want to get to you sponsoring eventually. Like, I want to yeah. get to that side, but you're being sponsored. Yeah. Two years go by. You're on this journey from atheist to now follower of Jesus. Can you just, and I'm sorry, I like these little side things. Yeah. I need that, but mm -hmm. um, I so, want to know like what, what led you go from like I'm a cynical atheist to well, I'm a believer in Jesus. I'm all in. So real quick, I'm, I'm just going to bring you to that point. So yep. real quick. Um, so I, my, my higher power evolved. It started as a group of drunks. That was easy for me to handle, right? The group I was going to was my higher power. My sponsor was my higher power. Then it became good orderly direction. Good, solid morals became my higher power, right? And then, uh, it's going to seem silly, but at the time, right, one of the ways I, I stayed, I kept my mind busy and my hands busy, I read a lot of books. Hmm. Most specifically, Star Wars books. <laughs> okay. So the Force became my higher power. It was it was a very tangible thing that I could wrap my head I around. I actually did that part of your mm -hmm. story, too. And I'm, I wonder how many people actually do that. Yeah. Dude, we kind of feel like it that's... It was a very common thing. That's yeah. like, a, you know, you might you kind of do see that in just other worldviews in general. Mm -hmm. But that's interesting. You yeah. adopted that. I didn't know that for a period yeah. of time. Okay. And so for about a year, I was doing that. Now, at... The, I finished my steps relatively quickly. Within like three or four months, I was done with the steps. So I was praying regularly. I was I meditated regularly. Like I was doing, I was doing the thing. I was sponsoring guys, mm -hmm. and I was sponsoring this guy. You know him, okay. Angelo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this guy Shut has up. become like my best friend mm -hmm. in life, dude. I love this dude. Mm -hmm. He, I met him. I was working with him, and he was literally like he got sober just a few months after I did. Okay, but uh, like eight nine months after I did. But he wasn't working any program. So he was absolutely miserable. He was just a gross human to be around. And when you say working a program, I feel like we need to clarify because yeah. like you went he didn't have a Yeah, he didn't have a sponsor. He wasn't working the steps. He was going to meetings, but he was going to meetings and then leaving meetings. There was no interaction. There was no fellowship. There was no – he wasn't really working at AA. So if after someone like you or whoever goes through the 12 steps, then you, you work go, a meeting, you said? You, oh, yeah. You go out. And, like, I'm done, but I'm not done. You're never done. Exactly. You're never done. I think it's to be clarified. Like yeah. I did the twelve steps, yeah. but now I'm trying to still be sponsored, or still sp well, now sponsor others. I spoke to my sponsor every day, mm. every single day. I called mm -hmm. him at eight thirty in the morning every single day. <laughs> I never missed a day, right? And it was it was high. It's high accountability mm -hmm. sponsorship. It's discipleship, but like without Jesus. But it's yeah. crazy when you when you hear that because yeah. you're going, man, can the church learn from this? Yeah. And which we got to get to that conversation. Yeah. But well, you know, it's funny. Like I, I'm an accountability partner yeah. and I mentor guys at the church. Mm -hmm. I hold them to that standard. Mm. You know, mm. guys who come to me with struggles, with certain struggles, I tell them, all right, do you, do you give me permission? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to stop doing that thing? Mm -hmm. You know, to turn away from that sin. If they say yes to me, I'm like, okay, call me every single day. A lot of guys have looked at me like, what? I'm like, yes, call me every single day. Yeah. Right. If you don't call me, then I'm going to assume you're falling back into sin, right? Because there's only one reason why you wouldn't want to talk to me. And that's because you don't want to be account held accountable. And that's how I was taught how to stay sober. You know, um, when I went into CR, I did CR, Celebrate Recovery, which yeah. is a 12-step program all centered on Christ. 
and I got a sponsor in CR. I went through CR for codependency, anger, uh, sexual immorality. I, I struggled with porn in the beginning of my my faith a lot. CR helped me tremendously. Mm. And by the way, I think that's good to mention. Like, I think it's good to mention there's AA, there's CR. Mm-hmm. I think there's, there's some Christians who are like, you know, maybe anti-AA and, Dude, and more CR pro-celebrate recovery. is exactly the same thing. Yeah, and I think that's, that's great. Like, I mm-hmm. think it's great to know that there are options. Yeah. And just the fact that, like, I love how God used AA to get you sober. So now you're actually able to think for the first time, not live in this place of fogginess. And now you're able to go through something like a, a CR, experience more freedom, more victory. Mm-hmm. But it's almost like God had to bring you to this place where you can even think. Yeah. You know, it's like, because you're in such a fog. Um, yeah. And so sometimes I think we can, you know, speak poorly of certain things or movements or things like AA. When in reality, like, maybe maybe that's something God's going to use just to make them actually think, like, soberly and clearly. Mm-hmm. And now they can be introduced to more. But I want you to explain that. So yeah. you still haven't gotten to your salvation. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, so, yeah. Please, so I'm please. sponsoring this guy, Angelo, right? Yeah. I'm sponsoring, my, I'm sponsoring this guy. And my sponsor told me, don't sponsor this guy. You know, that's like, really interesting. Yeah. He's telling me, don't, I, I, I spoke, I went over his head. I went to his sponsor and I asked him and his, his answer was, well, you know, it's really not a good idea, but you know, if the guy needs help, you know, the 12th step is why, practice these principles in all our affairs. Why is it not a good idea? Because our relationship is, is, is kind of, um, it puts us into a weird relationship, right? So when you sponsor somebody, you want the relationship to be. You don't want to. You don't want to get too emotionally invested in somebody, right? Because if you start mm-hmm. wanting someone to be sober more than they want to get sober, right? That can really trip me up, mm-hmm. and that's happened to me before, and I got really tripped up. But something about this dude, I just wanted to help him, you know. So I disregard. I disobeyed my sponsor, which was one of the first times, like in two and a half years, I probably went. I did the opposite of what my sponsor suggested, maybe twice, maybe twice. Isn't that crazy that a big part of it is do what you're told? Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. you're young, you're still in this addiction, you're not thinking clearly before, you know, it's like we got to like really just, can you just do what I say? It reminds me of even just being in Israel, every Jewish person has a rabbi mm. and it's crazy. And it, and it kind of brings the new meaning to reading the Bible mm-hmm. and like when they're calling Jesus like rabbi. It's like, oh, that's your rabbi. Okay, mm-hmm. everyone's got one. He's yours, basically. Like for for like the disciples, and it's that same model of this is the person that I'm giving the authority to call the shots for the way that I live my life. Mm-hmm. I'm giving this person the right to tell me basically how to live, mm-hmm. and I'm going to obey what they say. Yeah, it's hard mm-hmm. because that's been abused in so many different ways throughout, mm-hmm. just like life and history and, and certain denominations, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you still see the. But it's it's weird how we just throw it out completely, because mm-hmm. the idea of like maybe whether we call it an elder or a pastor or a rabbi, like whatever that. But for us as followers of Jesus, there's a sense of I do want to, I want to be please begin. Nothing's off limits. Correct, direct me, encourage, you know, challenge. And I, I think we're in this weird moment, just, just as a, like a, a church and world, where it's like, this church is challenging me or telling me I can't do something. I'm going to go to a new one. And then mm-hmm. I'll go to a new And it's like, we just kind of go around, never really submitting under. So now, because now I, I think what a good model, like you had to submit under. Now you're able to like, like you said, over two and a half years, maybe once or twice, you didn't listen to the sponsor. But now you're in this place, now we're sponsoring Angelo. Mm-hmm. And I want you to get back to that place, because yeah. that's, so you're sponsoring So him. it's so funny, because Angelo... Um... Angela at the time was was going to like. Does he know you were talking about him? Is that okay? <laughs> oh yeah, dude, I've I've shared this story okay, ma- okay. millions of times like, with him in the audience. Yeah, like, yeah. 
<laughs> like he audience. knows. Okay, like, okay. I, I attribute a big part <laughs> of, you know, how I know Jesus through him, mm-hmm. you know. So Angela, while I'm sponsoring him, he just takes off. He really, he does exactly, he was me, you know. When I was desperate, he was that desperate. So it just like I did, I did everything. My, he did exactly the same thing. He took, he did one extra step that I didn't do though. He started going to church, right? Now, as messed up as this may sound, it's part of my story. I met this girl. I went on a date with her. She told me she couldn't date a guy if he wasn't a Christian. I was like, okay. I'm like, my manipulative brain at the time is thinking, well, I'll just go to church and read the Bible and think, you know, I'll talk and act like a Christian, but I really won't be a Christian, you know? That's not how that works. Yeah. So, um, so I'm talking to Angelo about it, and Angelo's, and I'm telling him, like, you know, me and this girl, it really wasn't working out. It really shouldn't have worked out. And so I'm like giving up on God altogether. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to write this off. I don't, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. I don't want anything to do with this. And I don't even remember what he said, man, but it was so simple. He said, you know what? You know, maybe Jesus loves you so much. He wanted you to go through all that pain just so you could see the small inkling of the pain he went through. And I was like, huh, okay. All right, you know, I won't give up on Jesus. So I started going to church by myself. I started, I went and got a, I was going to Christ Fellowship. Sure. And they gave out the Bibles, you know, the paperback Bibles. I took one home with me and I started reading it. And I started reading it like really, really in depth. And I was reading through Matthew and I'd just gotten through the Sermon on the Mount and I was feeling kind of depressed, a little lonely. And I was looking around my room. My room was really dirty. You know, and, and there's a saying in AA, like, dirty room is usually dirty, dirty life. You know, if, you're, if, you're hot, if your life is cluttered, your things are going to be cluttered. So I'm like, all right, I don't want to be cluttered. Maybe that's my problem. So I started cleaning up. And now I just read through, I probably read through Matthew like four or five times over and over again. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it was Matthew, mm-hmm. but it's just where I, I landed. And so I'd just gotten done reading through Sermon on the Mount for like maybe the five, fifth, sixth time. And I come across what's my what's called my fourth step, my moral inventory. I wrote a list of everything I had done wrong to everyone I had done it to. It's called moral inventory. A moral inventory. Yeah. And I came across it. I actually had misplaced it uh, a little while before that. And I came across it, and it and I'm I'm just sitting there and I'm like I'm going through it like as I'm cleaning my room. I'm like, wow, you know, I'm I have hate in my heart. I'm a murderer. Hmm. Oh my gosh, I've I've lusted so much. I'm I'm an adulterer. You know, I, I'm a liar, I'm a cheater, I'm, I'm a thief, and, and I just broke down, man. Oh. I just, oh, brought me to my knees. And being as that for the last two and a half years, anytime I was on my knees, I was in prayer. I just started praying, you know, and... But this time to... Yeah, I'm trying not to get emotional. Hold on a second, because it really was a very emotional moment. And I'm just praying, like, and I'm call, I'm saying, God, God, you know, God, you know, take take this away from me, make me not this person anymore, you know, clean my life up. And it was almost like I felt a presence, and it's it's gonna seem silly, but almost like a hand on my shoulder, and just the thought, Jesus is like, you know, I died so you don't have to, I died so this man is dead. I died so you don't have to be this anymore. And, um, <laughs> sorry, give me one second. Oh, and then I just kept asking Jesus to enter. Jesus, take, take, take this from me. Jesus, 
take all of this this sin from me and in that moment he did and he, you know that that was it that my my life went down that path just fine and i was on fire for jesus mm. and i treated my faith exactly like i treated my recovery so the first thing i did is i found a church mm-hmm. my home church my home mm-hmm. group i found a guy in that church who i wanted to follow my sponsor mm-hmm. it was actually it was mm-hmm. john yeah that one yeah it's just, yeah he was my mentor man he I mean, he taught me how to read the Bible. He taught mm. me how to pray to Jesus, and um, you know, he taught me how he taught me how to baptize mm-hmm. guy. Dude, he taught me how to be a Christian man, mm. right? A Christian man in recovery. So it wasn't just anymore. Like he taught me that my faith was no longer my faith. Mm. My sobriety is not my sobriety. My life is not my life. It mm. is now others, and I became very other centered. You know. Um, and I actually, I, I left AA. I, I caught a really big resentment against AA mm. because I got saved and I'm, I'm, a very, I'm an egomaniac, man. I really, it's my, my greatest struggle. My pride is my greatest struggle because I go to my AA group and as a believer, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm at our business meeting and that's when I just, you know, introduced the idea of making Jesus our group conscience. Mm-hmm. Everyone started calling me a Bible thumper because <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm like quoting Bible verses. And I'm likening the big book to the Bible. And people didn't like it, mm. you know? It mm-hmm. turned people off, mm. you know? And, and who am I? You know, I'm nobody. But I thought it was somebody. And that was the biggest problem. So I left AA. And I started serving in CR. And that's mm-hmm. when I got really involved mm-hmm. in CR. Um, but but it was like two years of AA to CR, right? Where, where I, Or from where I was in CR, AA to when I was in CR. Like I was doing that for two years. Went through the 12 steps again, mm-hmm. you know, found so much freedom in in so much sin in my life. Um, and I was just, you know, doing the deal, man, sponsoring guys, doing it. I was discipling men, right? And the terminology changed sure. yeah. a little bit, which was funny. But I was like, this is exactly the same stuff I was doing. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. But I was discipling men, mm-hmm. you know. I was I was praying with people. I was teaching mm-hmm. men how to pray, how to how to do a moral inventory, mm. how to take their, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, wow. but then as I got to know Jesus through the Bible more, I started to see some flaws in CR that I didn't agree with. Mm-hmm. And I took my faith and my walk with Jesus way more seriously than I took my recovery. And it was probably like, um, 2018. And uh, I was going through a lot of really hard times, lost my grandfather my abusive girlfriend finally broke up with me, and it stuck this time. Um, I had no money. I'd started a business, and I was broke. Like, all I had was God. All I had was Jesus. That was literally all I had. And um, I was broken again. And I was like, Ugh, how did I get here? And so I'm like, all right, this is where you want me, Lord. This is how you'll have me. And um, and I, I just... Started over, and that's actually when I really met you. Yeah, well, I, I remember. I remember some of that. Yeah, I feel like a little bit, a little bit before that. Yeah, too. dude, yeah, I yeah. was like coming out of it when <laughs> yeah. I started getting involved at the exchange. I was building my confidence back up a little bit, but yeah. still having some moments. Yeah, but I, I don't want to like overpass, like just go over too quick what you shared. Like, mm-hmm. I love that you're reading Matthew over and over. I love. There's this beautiful. Like, it's crazy that you know something you did while you're not a Christian. Moral inventory slash the Sermon on the Mount, and it's like just revealing sin mm-hmm. and this revelation of sin, then you're like, 
I'm weary and I just bring it to Jesus. And it's crazy because you don't, it's not like you know, like it's not like you, you know, I don't know. I just love how like sometimes we feel like it needs to be this clear, neat package. Like then this person told me, you know, Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me all who are weary. It's like, you didn't like have those necessarily those favorite references, but you mm. just like go to Jesus, Jesus, take it. I'm done. The sin's too heavy. And then like you said like that, like, okay, you did exactly what he said. Yeah. And, and he did exactly what he said he would do. Like he would take your burden mm-hmm. and yeah. his is light. And I think that's so beautiful because like you did what he asked and then he did what he said he would do. Oh, and that dude. is just so beautiful. Like the revelation of sin, then the revelation of Jesus is that much greater. Mm-hmm. And, and it's so sweet. And you know, it, it was really, there was a lot of, a lot of the foundation I had from AA. It was so easy to be a Christian, you know, because the foundation of AA is in Christ. So there, there wasn't a whole lot that needed to change. Like I, you know, I just did exactly what my sponsor had told me to do yeah. for the last two and a half, three years. Mm-hmm. I just kept doing it, you know, and, but there was, I mean, like, excuse me, there was, there was a relief, right? The fifth step is, um, we, we can, um, it's, we confess to ourselves, to another human being, and to God the exact nature of our wrongs. Basically, mm-hmm. I took that moral inventory, and I told him everything on it. Mm-hmm. So I shared with him my deepest, darkest secrets, mm-hmm. like the worst of the worst, the best of the best. Mm-hmm. And there was a relief from that, mm-hmm. right? But there's always a relief from confessing sure. sin. Yeah, yeah. But this was a different kind of relief because, you know, this, this relief I got because I'm confessing. I'm showing God, like, this is who I am. You know, I have my moral inventory in my hand. I'm confessing it to Jesus. But in that moment, there was a relief like this is this is gone. Mm. You know, mm. that was a tremendous, like I've never felt a relief like that. It was emotional. It was it was mental. It was physical. And it's alone in your room mm-hmm. with the Bible and on your knees. Yeah. And that is so beautiful, right? And it can happen in so many different ways, but that is yeah. a beautiful part of your story. Yeah. And, I, and I have to like, you know, when you look at your life, <clears throat> it's like, yes, you went from like, you know, blackout drunk, sober, or maybe either CR and God's revealing new things. Like you said, maybe some sort of ego or self-righteousness or, um, addiction to pornography. And you've had, it's almost like you didn't know, but there's like that sanctification process Mm -hmm. still happening. Like the end goal, like you said, maybe not just get sober, but what else? Like, God, what else, what else do you want to clean up? You know, cause I think of that story where the man who cleans out his house, but like, you know, I do like seven more demons come in and fill it. Like, so it's like, what else? And then Jesus is like, he's the one who filled you. Mm-hmm. And there's still this sanctification process. And I think it's cool for me to like hear, hear how you described you maybe getting in a random fight. Like seeing, hearing about that Dylan from like the Dylan, this Dylan, <laughs> yeah. the Dylan I know. Like it's so crazy, man. Yeah. And it's and it's so beautiful because um, it's Jesus, right? I mean, and, and I'm not, I don't want to go back to what I said earlier. It's not, it truly is one step. Yes. Like it is Jesus. He is salvation. There's no other name mm. by which men are saved other than the name of Jesus. But I, I also feel like there's almost this cynical attitude that sometimes God doesn't have maybe us on this. Like, let me use even scripture based things or things to kind of get you where you can actually think like, it's crazy how many conversations we have with people and it's like, they're not even in their right mind because of maybe addiction or drug abuse or, and, and it can even be to the point of like pornography where you look at like maybe how their mind is now rewired and it's mm-hmm. hitting the same mm-hmm. kind of chemicals in the brain and they're not thinking clearly. But the point being like, it got you to this place where you could think clearly and God can work and move. And I just, I'm very thankful for, for that. Cause I would say me knowing you has changed some of my perceptions on maybe the recovery community or the AA community or the CR community. And I, th- I'm just very thankful for it and I'm very grateful. Yeah. And, um, yes, real quick. I just want to say too, 
I am not the representation of AA. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I, I can't, I cannot be, right? I, the anonymous aspect of AA is that I, I cannot be the representation, right? If you want to know more about AA, you got to go to AA. You got to meet AA, right? I'm just the hand of AA. If you need help, like I'm there to, the hand of AA is there to reach out. And ultimately when you say that, I, I you know, you're more than hand of AA. Like you are a servant of Jesus. And I'm not trying to correct it, exactly, you. Exactly. Like, I know yes. like, I know yeah. like now of course. how your mind has changed towards even that. Like it's yeah. been a tool mm-hmm. to bring people. Yeah. And I mean, now when I sponsor guys, the very first thing that comes out of my mouth, you know, is, you know, my job is as a sponsor. Well, really, I ask them, like, are you willing to do whatever it takes? They're like, yeah. I'm like, okay, just so you know, I'm a big Christian. I'm a big <laughs> Bible thumper. I'm going to introduce you to Jesus. And they're like, well, I'm... You know, I'm here for A. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, all right, great. I don't care. You know? But there'll come a time you're going to ask me how to pray. And uh, actually, this guy I'm sponsoring right now, he was... He's like... He actually responded to me with... He goes, oh, that's really cool. You know, I have no faith, so I could probably learn from that. I'm like, okay, I, we can work with, we can work on that. That's cool. But he's struggling with God, of course, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. like most days. And I think that patience though, that this, you know, and it's okay. Like there's a patience of like walking with people in that, mm-hmm. that maybe Christians are like, but I, I shared my faith. Why did they come? And we like move on yeah. versus like walking through the pain with someone. And I think as you're sponsoring or walking through these highs and lows with men who are like coming out of heavy addiction and they're white knuckling it and all that. Mm-hmm. And like, wow, but this guy's been faithful and he loves Jesus. Maybe there is something more to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that what, a, you know, we always try to find routes to get the gospel into people's lives. Like what is an efficient way? And I think like, do we consider for those who've come out of addiction, you know, maybe consider that. I am curious, by the way, who have you sponsored? Like what kind of, and not like names, but who have you sponsored? Yeah. Like, is it just alcohol or what, or what kind of addictions have you helped sponsor? Man. So, so first and foremost, right. So, through the 12 steps and through Jesus, I have been freed from alcoholism, drug addiction, pornography addiction, um, codependency, and, you know, rage. Um, gosh, really, sex addiction. I mean, I mean you, can, you can name it, and I've been addicted to it. And Jesus has given me freedom from that. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not without my struggles, mm-hmm. you know? I'm mm-hmm. human. I, I struggle with things, and, you know, I surround myself with men and, and that I can talk to. But I've sponsored guys in AA for drugs and alcohol. Um, in CR, I've sponsored guys who struggle with codependency, with you know, porn addiction, sex addictions. I sponsored guys who, in just in the church alone, mm-hmm. not through CR, not through AA. Um, I've taken guys through twelve steps for you know, real bad codependency and relationship addictions. Um, who struggled with all sorts of things, church hurt. I mean, the 12 steps fit all mm-hmm. people. You know, I mean, I recommend to my wife all the time, maybe you should go through the 12 steps, honey. It, you <laughs> could find things in your life. Is that a, is that like that, a marriage jab? You just take it away? No, no, no. She's not. She, no, 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 no. No, honey, please. Um, no, no, this is, but this is, this is my love for the 12 sure, steps sure. And, and the relationship it builds between you and God. Mm is tremendous right because again it's not a program designed to they're not designed to stop you from drinking to stop using drugs to stop looking at porn to stop being codependent they're simply designed for you to have a relationship with god yeah and i think that's actually um a big misunderstanding sometimes is well why would i go through this i don't have one of the big things i don't have one of the big sins whatever that means but i think they mean like whether it's sex or drugs or alcohol 
but it's funny. One of my dear friends, who's a pastor in our community, he went through the twelve steps for, and this was his like terminology, self righteousness. And I'm like, what do you? I'm like, I thought it was so weird. I'm like, that just sounds self righteous. I was like, what do you even mean? He's like, <laughs> I like to boast in all the things I have not done. I haven't done these things, mm-hmm. and I was, I had a very good reputation, and then that began to like haunt me, and I felt the shame and guilt, and it almost became like I pursued, like an addictive manner a good name or a good like reputation. And like, it almost kept me from Jesus hmm. wasn't my source of righteousness. I was my source of righteousness. Yeah. And so he felt the need to go through the steps in a, let's identify the issue. Well, it's like, what are you addicted? I'm addicted to people looking at me in a favorable way. Okay. Like, so like th- that was like his thing. And he's talked about like just the freedom he's experienced through going through the step. And I thought that was a, like a beautiful a- approach in some ways. Cause he's trying to say, um, it's not like, Oh, really sinful people need, need confession and accountability and moral and like really sinful people need these things. Like I am a really sinful person, even though I don't fit the typical list this might be associated with. Yeah. It's like, I still have really deep, you know, and I love that because it obviously portrays like our righteousness is as filthy rags to the Lord. It portrays, don't think like when Jesus said, I've come not for the righteous, but for the sinners, he's like, I want to fall in that category. But for so long, I didn't think, you know, I didn't think I did. <laughs> and in reality, I, I do. Like in reality, I am. Um, and know, I think we should see ourselves in that light for the sake of that restoration. Absolutely. And, you know, my grandfather used to tell me this all the time. And he he was in AA for 48 years and on his deathbed gave his life to Jesus. It was amazing. <sighs> yeah. And on it, it was amazing. I met your grandpa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's so um, crazy. And, uh, but he used to tell me all the time, like, from the very beginning, like, this is a program of ego deflation. Mm-hmm. If you don't deflate your ego, this program will not work for you. And our ego is the thing that gets between us and God. Isn't that not the? Isn't that not the, what Jesus describes? Mm-hmm. Like, if you want to come to me, humble yourself. <clears throat> yeah. God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself as you come to me. I'll lift you up. It's crazy how like there. What is if? What is like God looking for in our approach to Him? It, it is what you just said. We might use it for whether you said ego or yeah. you know it's humility. humility. It's crazy how it's humility. And what a brilliant way! Like you have to come <clears throat> in that posture mm-hmm. of like I don't know it all. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Savior. I, that's why I'm coming to you. Like I need mm-hmm. that. And, you know, and, it, and it's crazy because it, it, you know, little things. It's it's these little things that we do that uh, that that are, that humble us. Like my sponsor used to, in the first couple of years, he made me go if anybody ever asked to help me. I had a really big ego. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm pretty, you know, up there now. But my ego back then was even worse. I was the most important person any room I walked into. So he would constantly humble me. He would make me go and, and help people move. And he's like, if they offer you money, you have to say no. And if you take the money, you have to give it away to somebody else, right? And he would always gut check me. Did you take the money? I'm like, no. He's like, yeah, did you take the money? I'm like, yeah, right, I took the money. He's like, okay, let's go buy some homeless people some food. Come on, let's go. And he would make me do stuff like that, you know, because I, I was I needed I needed to be humbled constantly and so for a while it took me a couple of moves before i stopped taking i started refusing the money but i must have helped there was this one couple in my home group um in six months they must have moved like three times (laughs) and every time they asked for help i would say yes and every time they would offer me money and that means i would go and load up the truck and unload the truck so i helped these people move it felt like a hundred times man and so, um, 
that the last time they moved, I actually convinced my sponsor to come with me. And he, you know, they offered me money and they offered him money. He took the money. Yeah. And I looked at him and he's like, I don't have your grandpa. Yeah. <laughs> he looked at me like that. He's like, don't take it. Yeah. And I'm like, no, no, no. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. And I didn't take the money. So a couple of months later, he asked me to help him move. And uh, this is how I got back at him. I helped him move and we're done moving. And he's like, here's some money. And I'm like, you got it, my friend. Anytime, anytime. I'm not giving that money to a homeless person. Yeah. So, but I, I did that a lot. I mean, I could have started a moving company. I helped so many people move, dude. I think the cool thing we were pointing out though is there was actual like things to do mm-hmm. that had like put you in this place to like real humility, real confession, real accountability. It wasn't just like, all right, you know, you sometimes hear you should have accountability, and it just dies there. Yeah. You should confess. You know your struggles, your sins, your addiction, it just dies there. You're really put in a place where like you had to actively do these things. Um, well, it was life or death. Yeah. Wow. Right? Yeah. For for me, it was life but or is, death. Isn't it for everyone? I, I mean, right? yeah, yeah. But I and you know, I think this is honestly, I think this is the biggest hurdle that the church faces. Right? They don't. They don't. The, there are people. I, I shouldn't say they. I shouldn't. I, you know. Sure. But I see a lot of people who don't experience the real weight of spiritual life and death, Hmm. you know? And can you clarify that where like going up to the altar, right? Doing an all, some, you go to church, there's an altar call. Somebody goes up there, gives their life to Jesus. And then they go out and they do the same thing they did before they did the altar call, right? They don't actually feel the weight of what, what it means to, to be a follower of Christ. And so they think, you know, it's almost like how Catholics look at baptism, right? I went up, I did the altar call, I'm saved now, right? Like, no, there's so much more work that needs to be done now. Now that you're a Christian, you're just only recognizing that the work mm-hmm. needs to get done. Mm. Do the work. And, um, you know, and, and I think that, and that's why, like, when I was going to Calvary, um, I mean, maybe I shouldn't mention churches, but a lot of churches do altar calls, and I never really agreed with altar calls. Right, I never actually went up to the altar. I never did that. Didn't. That's not where I got saved. That's not how I got saved. That's not how you know Jesus saves. But obviously, people get saved at altar calls. Sure, right? like yeah. absolutely, and that's probably different. That's a different Ab- podcast. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's yeah. another podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, but what, what my my struggle with it was ultimately was what are they doing once they leave? Mm-hmm. Like my in my you're, mind, you're heavy. You're part of heavy discipleship yeah. program. Yeah. In my mind, I want to go up to those people and be like, okay, what's next? Let's, like, go. Like, let's, let's go. go find you a mentor right now that can disciple you. Yeah. And that's how I look at it at church now. Yeah. yeah. You know, when I see people come in who are heavy hearted, mm-hmm. you know, I, I mean, you can, you can call them whatever outcast misfits, whatever. I see a broken heart that Jesus can fix. Yeah. And I want to pour into that person because I was a broken heart that Jesus fixed, Mm -hmm. you know, and what AA does is it's all broken hearts, Mm -hmm. right? It's all broken people who know they need to get fixed and the people who help you find that, you know, that's their life goal. Mm -hmm. Discipleship is their life goal. And, and I feel like, you know, people don't, a lot of people in churches don't see that their life goal is to go make disciples. Yeah. You know? Um, can, and can I just, yeah. I almost want to just end with some fire rapid questions because I feel like there's so many maybe around this topic. Yeah. And I, if you have any too, please just, do we have something to go? Mm-hmm. Take no. it, take oh, it. No, you, you no take ahead. it, take it, take it. 
Yeah, we haven't heard from the mystery man. <laughs> the invisible man. Um, you know, I, I was thinking the same thing. Like, I, I have a number of questions that some some I'm asking on behalf of myself. Mm-hmm. Some are on behalf of other people that I know personally who I, I they're the questions I expect that they might ask if they were in the room here with us. Um, <clears throat> the first one is, do you believe that... Um, every person who is willing to do whatever it takes to recover can. Hmm. Can I, can I answer that with a question? Of course. (laughs) Do you think you're a sinner? (laughs) Yes. Would you do whatever it takes to no longer sin? Of course. Great. It's a simple program of 12 steps. That'll help you do that. It's simply a relationship with God, you know? So yeah, I, I definitely believe that if you believe you're a sinner and you believe there's sin in your life, Yet the 12 steps will help you find freedom from that because they'll simply have help you find a stronger relationship with God. But I feel like there's a follow-up question with that. Yeah. Right? I guess, I guess like, I, I'm, I'm thinking of someone in particular who I feel like has genuinely, and it's so hard because no one can read anyone else's actual heart, but who right. I feel like has genuinely tried incredibly hard to get free of various things. Mm-hmm. And... Yet that aren't is that person is not you know fully free of those things, and it's it's weird because like the head knowledge is one hundred percent there, and it's like I desire to be free. I desire to change. I they they would say like I know the right answers in terms of how to, but it's like I just keep falling backwards. Like I continuously um, don't do what I want to do. And I know that's kind of, it's almost kind of cliche, but I do think it's, it's because it's cliche. I think it's, I think it, it's worth addressing because I think even a lot of people listening to this are like, man, um, what's the secret sauce that you tapped into that actually allowed you to say, this is the deal. And like eight years later, you're, you're actually good. Like mm-hmm. it, you're actually, um, not indulging in the appetite that you know will destroy you actually that that's that's an easy answer (laughs) working with others you know um the big book talks about the knowledge right i could i could read the 12 i could read this book i could read this book i could read any self-help i can read any you know christian help book i could read and get all this knowledge but if i'm not taking action it doesn't the knowledge does nothing Right. So for me, the only way I can stay sober today, and I'll tell you, there, my sobriety today is strong, but it was faltering not so long ago. And I thought about drinking, and it's because I wasn't working with other people, whether it be other alcoholics or any other struggles. Um, when I am actively in that process of being held accountable by a sponsor, right? It's like, uh, like, you know, like Paul, Paul constantly had, you know, was constantly leading somebody, um, but he was also constantly walking alongside somebody. And there was constantly somebody in his life who was walking just a step ahead of him. Mm -hmm. You know, how did Paul do it for all those years by maintaining that until he was stuck in jail and couldn't, there was no other option. What do you, what do you think then that, I I guess maybe this is my follow-up question to that is like, what does the church maybe need to grow in in terms of how we are doing accountability 
so that it's effective in the way that you're describing because i know a lot of people it's like oh yeah mm -hmm. we check in on each other a little bit and it's like sometimes it's just like oh yeah man i resonate with that i screwed up too and, and other times it's just like oh i'm sorry man like let's yeah. you know pray but like can you go a little bit into more depth on like what are, what are the mechanisms of that accountability components like i'm i know there's not like one answer but i mean and, and you've alluded to certain things where it's like call me every day at 8 30 a.m like that's that's something yeah. but i'm i'm just curious if there's anything else that would be noteworthy in terms of like what what does that accountability look like mm -hmm. uh that you're subjecting yourself to to the extent that it actually begins to through that vulnerability and openness it begins to actually day after day change your life at the pattern of your life yeah um, I would say there's a lot of discipline involved, right? Um, you know, the 12 steps are disciplines is what they are. U ultimately, that's the best way to describe them. They're disciplines for the way we should live our lives. You know, constantly admitting that our, our sin is sin. Um, constantly believing that God can re relieve us of that sin. Um, you know, turning our will over to God on a daily basis. Uh, and then... You know, one of the things that I think the church kind of skips on mm. is, hey, let's let's get let's get an in, let's inventory mm. you. Let's take an inventory of ourselves. You know, we're if if we truly believe that we're sinners, then we should all have sin to inventory. And you know, once a thief, always a thief. Only Jesus says otherwise, right? And it's and that's how it is. So Jesus can take that from you, but it doesn't change the fact that, that there's a tendency there. Right when I did my fourth step, especially, I had a lot of tendencies, a lot of patterns developing. Hmm. Right, those I call my character defects and my shortcomings. Once I identified what my character defects were and my shortcomings were, I actively worked on those. I actively asked God to remove those, and my accountability, you know, my discipler, my sponsor, constantly called me out on them. Hey, your number one character defect has been pride. You've been super prideful lately. Like, what are you doing for that? You know, uh, what, what are some ways we can overcome that? Every time I would get prideful, he'd tell me, go help another alcoholic. Go help somebody move. Mm -hmm. Go take a guy to a meeting. Um, just don't be about yourself today. Be about someone else. Um, and then making right all the wrongs that I committed throughout my life. You know, some of them were easy to make. Some of them were incredibly difficult. Mm -hmm. And I have to make them actively every day I live my life. And then the last step is... You know, practice these principles in all of my affairs and help the next person, right? That's ultimately what sums up how I got freedom <coughs> from all these, these sins in my life. Um, when, I'm, when I'm not working this program, when I'm not practicing these principles in all my affairs, I become incredibly selfish, manipulative, uh, and I don't mean to be, but there's a sin nature in me. And I think there's a sin nature in all of us that wants to, to come up mm -hmm. and we are constantly at war with that, you know, and you know, through the sanctification process, it becomes less and less powerful. Mm -hmm. We overcome, we overcome our sin nature more and more through mm -hmm. Christ. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that for me personally, I, I, I want to do this the rest of my life. You know, I want to count every single day as a blessing that I didn't drink, mm -hmm. you know, or I didn't use drugs. I, I didn't wake up frantic <laughs> trying to figure out where my car is. Mm. Like, I didn't wake up today 
and have a desperate need to get drunk. And that is an absolute miracle. Hmm. You know, that, that's the biggest miracle in my life. And I'm grateful for that. So I have to do something for that great, you know, I have to show my gratitude through action. And, um, and not to mention my sponsor is incredibly hard on me. I have a new sponsor who is, I didn't call him a couple of times and he's like, this ain't going to work, Dylan. This isn't what you signed up for. You call me every day, we'll call somebody else. And I'm like, oh, dang. Okay. And you just pointed out, it's interesting. You're eight years sober, still have a sponsor and you're sponsoring. Mm. Do you ever graduate not having a sponsor? No. Why would I ever not want to follow a guy that has something I want? Sure. You know? And how do you determine that at this point? So, all right. So in the last six months, I actually had two sponsors. The first guy was just a very no-nonsense kind of guy. I wanted that out of my sponsor. But then I realized, you know what? No. I, I want to learn from somebody who's constantly grateful. You know, someone who's always happy. Somebody who's who's no matter if they're getting pelted in the head by rain or fallen in a, in a ditch of mud, they're grateful it happened. So I found this guy from my home group. His name is actually Brian, but everyone calls him Grateful Brian. And, um, yeah. Band name right there. Yeah. And that was it. I, want, I wanted what he had. And I've never met a guy who's so happy all the time. And I just want you to clarify that because I think it's fascinating to be like, I'm eight years sober. I've been sponsoring guys for years. I have victory. Like I said, I have a healthy business, wife, marriage. Like your life is completely different, but you're still in this place of like, I still need. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And Brandon, I think what you're asking, and I, I so appreciate it, right? Because in the church, we deal with that Romans 7 type of mentality. Like the things I want to do, mm-hmm. I'm not doing. The things I don't mm-hmm. want to do, I still find myself yeah. doing. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And I do think that sometimes maybe it's, it is weird in the church. Like when someone's like, can you disciple me? I have so many questions. Like, what do you think discipleship is? Mm-hmm. What do you want? What, yeah. what is it though? And what is it? And I do feel like there's elements of these steps that are, sounds so discipleship heavy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is like, it is a true check-in point in time. Taking inventory, maybe just like, it's almost like Psalm 139, but like, Lord, you search me. And I yeah. think maybe That's us taking one. some of the <clears throat> language that we know, obviously be, to be like, make it more gospel, more biblical, Um, Meaning like, it's not just um, moral inventory. It's more than that. Mm -hmm. It's not just, you know, confessing to your sponsor. It's like, well, why? Because we know what the power of confession does to others and to God. Um, And I I do wonder sometimes, you know, with people, are they real? Do they really say, I'm willing to do whatever it takes? All right. Confess. And I, I, you know, I've been a part of discipleship programs like that. Like confess your deepest, darkest sins. Don't hold anything back. Why? Because I want to have something against you and use against you. Not at all. There's not mm-hmm. that. It's because we know that times of refreshing come, you know, once there's repentance or once there's confession. Um, and I do think, man, what, maybe, and you're asking like that disconnect of like, do we actually get into the nitty gritty? Maybe the 12 steps is something the church could learn from in, in the sense of I can pull some of these into our daily, weekly, monthly, mm-hmm. small group-ish kind of conversations or your, your thoughts on that. Well, I, I think what's kind of funny about that or like ironic about that is that if i'm getting the story right here it's like those things were originally borrowed from christianity Mm -hmm. have been given new language Mm -hmm. are actually being implemented uh even in a non-explicitly christian way Mm -hmm. to great success Mm -hmm. and now we're having this funny conversation (laughs) as christians saying man wouldn't it be great if we started doing something like sponsorship but like it had a name like something like discipleship (laughs) But, but, but like, it's actually funny because mm-hmm. 
there really is a need for something more like this. And, mm-hmm. and it's crazy that it seems like there's just a, um, there's already like a culture within AA of this is what we do. We have sponsors, mm-hmm. we do sponsoring, we have accountability, we call each other, we hold each other's feet to the fire. Like all of, there's all of these things that are baked into the cake as part of the culture of AA. Mm-hmm. And when I hear that, I'm like, man, I like, <laughs> like we need to understand, we need to really, um, the, the church really needs to grow in this way because mm-hmm. the, the, the idea of people going to church, you know, worshiping together, listening to a message together and going on their merry way, but never being known by each other or never being vulnerable with each other is just not really the church. Mm -hmm. And, and I remember the first time I discovered this was a couple of years ago, going to a celebrate recovery and being like, Oh, these people are real. Mm -hmm. Like, this is crazy. Like this is completely honest. They're super extra at CR. They get really, they really love Jesus and really love to worship God. And they're not ashamed of, Mm -hmm. um, they're not ashamed of their sin because they've confessed mm-hmm. it and yeah. they're not too proud to talk about it because they already have laid it at the foot of the cross. And so the relationships are so deep and the, and the transparency is so clear. And I remember like the first time going to celebrate recovery being like, this is insane. Like I, I feel like I'm in a group of people who have actually like walked through life to, with each other and like really, really, like know each other and that's and and it's sad that that's refreshing because that is what the church is supposed to be and then Mm. like we said like all like these 12 steps are really derivatives of the bible and the Mm -hmm. idea of like community Mm -hmm. i mean even family is a god idea you know so but but it is as i hear this i'm like man this is the mentality about the mentality that exists in AA and in Celebrate Recovery of I actually have to be fully known by other people mm. well, as a non-negotiable is like is mm-hmm. huge. And that I'm just telling you, Christians are secretive. Yes, like, and I, I was just gonna say, you know, I feel like too there there's there's almost like this this boundary that we're not allowed to cross. When somebody new comes into the church, mm. my first go-to is, oh, you're new here? Okay, let me show you where you can sign up to serve <laughs> because that's what I'm used to doing, you know? And I've done that to new people before, and I've kind of been told like, hey, why don't you let them get to know people first? I'm like, what's a better way to get to know people than serve? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, but that's that's my go-to is just get in the middle. Right when I left AA and came back to AA, the first thing I did was get in the middle. Mm-hmm. You know, I go around the room. I go to the meeting. I try and get to my to the meeting about ten minutes before, so I can get in there and shake hands. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Hey, did you take care of that thing you were talking about? Is that still going on? And you know, and it's the same thing with church. Like, no wonder I'm 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 a greeter. You know, people walk up. And that, those are the conversations like, hey, how you doing? Great to see you. Mm-hmm. Did you take care of that thing? You still struggling with that stuff? <laughs> you know, I feel like that's, you know. Our greeters are intense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm just kidding. We get yeah, real, awesome. we greet If you come hard. on time, you're 20 minutes late. Yes, yeah, <laughs> sir. <laughs> yeah. um, the, worship, the worship band's always like, why are, like, why, why'd you walk in the middle of the second song? I was like, I was here 10 minutes early. Dude, <laughs> I'm I, the greeter. But, but the greeter. <laughs> I sat through a whole worship, a whole worship set last Sunday and... I, I'm usually at the front greeting, you know, yeah, I come yeah. in right as worship ends and I'm looking around. I'm like, oh, there's like 12 people in here. It must be 1030 on the dot. 
And yeah, 1045, the set's just ending. Everyone's, everyone's like getting coffee and water. Yeah, and yeah we got to work on that. You yeah. know, I, 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 but what you're bringing up is necessary because it is true. Like there is almost this, we're okay now with having secrecy. Mm-hmm. We're okay now with just being attendee. And we're just, we're, I think what we're discovering here, and I feel like my conversations time with you is like, oh, wow, like discipleship is powerful. Mm-hmm. And there can be life change and transformation. And you know, our hope is to get past this. Why can't we just force discipleship? <laughs> Yo, in early AA, I kid you not, in yeah. early AA, when somebody walks into a room, they would literally be like, what's your name? Oh, you're Josiah? This is Dylan. He's your sponsor now. Like right away. Right away. Now, what what about the mentality, too, of you can't take a you know drunk off a stool? Like you, hey, listen, when a guy walks into church, yeah, there's, yeah. there's only one or two reasons why. <laughs> He's chasing after a girl, or he knows he's a sinner and he needs <laughs> he's Jesus. So funny. Okay, so he's talking about grandpa right now. Okay, <laughs> am so I wrong? Or maybe he's right? curious. I don't know. Yeah, yeah sure, yeah. sure. Well, there, um, there there is something to be said though. Like, you're if someone's in church, they're not a drunk on a bar stool. Like they they are like, um, there's at least some mm-hmm. reason why they're there. They're there. Yeah. And no. is there is this real? Is God real? Is is there power right. here? There, there's something. Yeah, there's yeah. some questions that are they need to be answered or longings that are need to be fulfilled. Like there's some motivating factor that's bringing them mm-hmm. to that location on the weekend on one you know, two days out of the whole mm-hmm. week that you get to yourself. You're and you're coming here. Yeah. Like what's what's up with that? So, but that being said, obviously you cannot force anything on anybody. But I do feel like hearing this story, I really, I really do mm-hmm. feel like the bar should be raised in terms of yeah. like, this is what we are. This is not what we, uh, this is what Christ is asking of us. Mm. Th- this is what we are called to like the, mm. the, 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 the vulnerability, the, the authenticity, the um, consistency, consistency, the discipline that you yeah. talked about. Mm-hmm. Like, like the bar actually is, it, it, it's, it's low on average. I'm not saying anything about any church in particular, <laughs> but on average and in the West in America, whatever it's you want to say, watered down. It's the yeah. bar is so low that it's almost like you can't benefit from the things that are in that, that God has in mm. store for us in the Bible, because mm-hmm. like it's so watered down that it's like, Oh, that didn't work. But it's like, mm-hmm. you didn't really, did, did you actually ever confess your sins to anybody mm-hmm. right. to be healed? Like you said, from James chapter five, mm-hmm. did you actually ever go out of your way, go out of your comfort zone once and share Christ with anybody to experience mm-hmm. the amazing feeling of being used by the Holy spirit and the Holy spirit flowing through you to speak the truth to other people? Did you ever, did you ever do that? You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think about like an acts in acts two um, at the end where they're, they're talking about, you know, they they were living together. They yeah. were they were literally selling off all their possessions. So they couldn't just sell off their possessions to live on the street. They were somewhere together. You know, eating together, sleeping together. They spent their lives together. You know, yeah, the temple and house to house. Exactly. I love that. It's both. It's this large gathering, small gathering. But they were all of one mind and one of yes, court. Right? So they thought the same way. They're reading they, the same thing. If so, so somebody new came in. Mm-hmm. They're like, hey, we're all doing this. So if you want to be a Come part of this, yeah. do this. That's what I was going to say earlier. The way and that their you numbers added daily. Exactly. The, the, the way that you introduced yourself to that guy where you're like, I got to warn you, like I'm a big Christian. <laughs> I love that because it's mm-hmm. like, let's just put away with like the, the niceties of mm-hmm. like, we're hiding that or like, we're going to, mm-hmm. we're going to like do things for a year and then like have this like 
big bomb drop on them. Mm-hmm. Like, by the way, like I'm religious. Like, <laughs> oh, like you're a Christian. Like, oh, like, and we're so afraid of being discredited or people mm. feeling, thinking certain things. But I love just the straightforwardness mm-hmm. of that. Gotta let you know, Dude. this this is called yeah. a church, so there's gonna be some I religious would, activity. Like, when mm-hmm. I first got saved, I was sponsoring this guy. I'd already been sponsoring him, and then I got saved, and this guy was gay. It was, mm-hmm. very, it was very obvious, you know, super nice guy. Sure. I love this guy. Mm-hmm. And um, and I just gotten saved, and then I must have been sponsoring him for about a month, and he turns to me, and he's like, I think you should know. <laughs> I'm like, know what? He's like, I'm gay. I said, and? You know? He's like, well, you're, you're a Christian now, you know? I'm like, is that going to be a... He's like, is that going to be a problem? I said, well, are you going to try and kiss me? He goes, no. I said, then no, we're not going to have any problems at all, you know? The job is the same. I'm going to take you through the steps. I'm going to teach you how to take another man through the steps. That's it. And it's like, sad there's like a hesitancy on his yeah. behalf. Like, well, you're a Christian, obviously there's going to be some sort of barrier between us. Mm-hmm. And you're saying, no, like, I love you. Jesus loves you. I'm mm-hmm. going to walk with you. And you, you hope even just people seeing that. And I think that's why, to me, AA is so interesting because it just, here's the thing. I, I've heard and seen, seen and been a part of, to some extent, like CR kind of things. I, I have nothing but good things to say. But I, what I love about sometimes like an AA, I, you actually get introduced to people's lives who are really far from God yeah. and they have and not just in their lifestyle and choices and decisions, but in their beliefs and it, just in mm-hmm. every way. And I think the cool thing is like what you said, like you're not trying to hide it. You're not trying to surprise them. It's like, listen, we're going to work the steps. We're going to work the program, but you got to know like when it says higher power for me, you got to know that's Jesus Christ and him crucified. And like, I think that's such a beautiful thing to say. Like, so we're going to do all the 12 things here, but when it's talking about praying to a higher power, whatever, you know, whatever terminology or language, you say, I'm, this is this is mine. Mm-hmm. Um, I want you to know him absolutely, but I'm still going to walk these steps with you. And I, yeah. I just think it's a really cool exposure to a group of people or community that we might not have been exposed to. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, who did Jesus come for? You know, and it's like, what a great example. And I think, man, we are in South Florida. Like there's a new recovery, I feel like, community I feel like being built on federal like every like month. Dude, there's it just a, like... a huge recovery movement happening right now. Absolutely. The, the, the recovery church... That thing, yeah. I mean, I'm t- that is a movement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's really exciting to see. Um, you know, I, it, it's not for me. I honestly, I believe God is calling me into the rooms of AA sure. to meet AAs where they're at and and introduce the love of Christ to them that way. But what what they're doing, they're literally preaching the gospel and they're relating it to twelve steps. Mm-hmm. It, it's actually really that's be- incredible. That's beautiful. You know, and, Dude, and so people are getting saved. Their numbers are adding daily. Mm-hmm. They're popping up new churches. It sounds like acts. That's amazing. It, it's it is. It really is. And um, there, there's power with it. So I feel like we got the gospel has to be our primary goal, right? Oh, it's absolutely. Not, it's not the twelfth. But I think what's beautiful about this is hearing a story where someone who was, you know, parents split up, introduced alcohol at a very young age, in a sense abusive, in a sense it's everything. You're right into this like to this journey where God used something like this. To get you, may, okay, find maybe there is some sort of th- higher power, and then ultimately <laughs> that leads you to Jesus. Like, yeah. but and that might not be everyone's story, but you know, it's like, how do we, man? How do we reach the lost? Like, I'm very thankful. Whether it's an Angelo type or I'm just very thankful for those things to kind of introduce you to the door of Jesus, and you go, wow, and this is where the power really is. And now I really see these twelve things are just stolen from the, you know, and like let's get back to that origin story, and that is mm. so that is so cool to me. Yeah. Um, and I'm very thankful, man. I'm thankful for your story. I'm thankful for who you are today. I'm thankful for your friendship. Um, it's you know, all Jesus, I, bro. It is, man. It I, really I, is. And I look back, honestly, I remember when you were at my house like five years ago, and I'm like, 
this guy, uh, and it's so cool what the Lord has done. It's yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. Um, we just pray for more of that. Um, my, my closing thoughts here are, it's it's actually a pretty unique. Your testimony is pretty unique in in the sense that, and and like as I as I listen or as I think back on the whole story that you just told. To me, the part that encapsulates it is when you're told to pray to the tile or whatever. The ceiling tiles, yeah. Pray to the ceiling tile. And it's like, what's up with that? But it's like, you learned how to do the thing that you needed to do, even when it didn't have God at the center of it. When It, it wasn't pointed in necessarily the right direction, but you you were exposed to that, that discipline, posture. that mm-hmm. posture that you needed and it's like it's like a foundation of a house was laid and then god was able to come and be like okay and and then when you actually were saved you weren't like what is prayer it's like oh i know what prayer is now i actually have someone real to talk to mm-hmm. i i've learned the discipline i've learned how mm-hmm. to express this thing now i actually get to express it to my creator you know and, and it's a, it's an interesting testimony because it's mm-hmm. very different than a lot of people, it's like it, it, God, God works in mysterious ways yeah. and in a plethora of ways. But I feel like that it kind of encapsulates your story. Like, do this thing that's almost like ritualistic nonsense. Like, what? Like, Create a ceiling tile. <laughs> it's but it's like, just wait. It, it reminds me of like Karate Kid, like wax on, wax off. <laughs> oh, like I'm actually learning something yeah. that's going to help me in in a real life context. And yeah. I think it's awesome. And, and you know, I'll, I'll tell you, I would, uh, whether it's a guy from AA or it, it's a guy, I mean, I've sponsored guys from church mm-hmm. who are like, yeah, I have a strong faith in Jesus. Yeah. I'm like, huh, that's interesting. <laughs> you have a strong faith in Jesus. Okay. Have this, this, this one discipline, call me every day, pray every day. And it's like, guys telling me, you know, I've got this really strong faith and they're like, can't pick up the phone once a day. Can't, mm-hmm. you know, get on their knees and pray. It's like, okay, you're, you're telling me a lot about what your faith is by your action. Like mm-hmm. when James talks about, you know, um, uh, faith without works is dead. Mm-hmm. You know, I need to do certain works because God has done certain things for mm-hmm. me. You know, one big thing, he died and rose again and freed me of my sin. So I have a lot to make up yes. for. Well, I, and I, I, what I love too is along in your story, there's been these moments of I'm broken, I need help, but I feel like you had what you're describing with these guys at the church. I was like, yeah, I need help, but I don't think they realize how broken they really are. Or how mm. how bad it really is, and I, I love it because you even for your story you had those moments of like finding your inventory list again and being like I really am broken, and I just think that that is such a beautiful process for us as the church where it's like I don't know if we will ever truly appreciate the gospel until we really get the depths of our own sin and wickedness mm-hmm. and rebellion, and I just think that is a part of the journey that I love about AA, what I love about the community, what I love about just guys who come out of recovery, I should just say guys who come out of recovery, I think there's this deep awareness of their brokenness and this deep awareness for God and their need for him. And I'm very thankful for that because you can't really teach like brokenness in some ways. Like there needs to be this eureka. Oh my gosh, my Mm -hmm. life is way far off and I really need Jesus way more than I thought. Um, I know we're like probably out of time and it's getting late, but, um, I just want to say thank you again, dude. I appreciate it. Love you. And, um, yeah, this sweet. Anything, I guess we can put people who are in addiction right now next step is just find a church find yep. a recovery center what you would could you call me you call literally Dylan. call you can call Dylan. 954 no. No. <laughs> yeah. it's actually 77 <laughs> um, no but seriously I um, for anybody who, who watches this mm-hmm. if you if you have my number call me that I'm literally I'm, I make myself available to this mm-hmm. because so many men have done it for me mm-hmm. 
um, that that's what it's all about. And you might not, they might not even know they need it right now because reality is, like you said, your, your brain's in this different mm-hmm. place. Yeah. But you know, yeah. it, it literally can be anything. We yeah. can become addicted to anything. Yeah. And if you want freedom from it, Jesus will help you with that. You know, that's my only message to the world Jesus. is Jesus. You know. Yeah. Do thank you, man. Thanks, Dylan. <laughs> Two thumbs up. <laughs>